Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 32, I suppose. Uh, I don't really know what number it is, actually, but you can tell we're very prepared today. Um, what has been going on, guys? I just got back in from a long trip uh, out over the, over, the, over the bridge, and when I came back, we have kind of these rednecks. I, I like to call them rednecks, but we live in Maryland, so I mean, I guess there's rednecks all over, but not the kind of rednecks I'm used to uh, in Tennessee and Georgia, but kind of a hickish guy. They keep their pit bull tied to a tree with a rope. So there you go. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a redneck, right? So I, I swear to God, I open the door. I hear the guy say, no kidding to one of his kids, Miyamo Moses. What? Miyamo Moses? His name's Moses, but he's speaking it in Spanish, but also like a redneck, like ease Spanish. I was, I'm fucking baffled. He may have also been saying something like, Something completely unrelated and in English, I just couldn't tell what it was, and it sounded like Miyamo Moses. <laughs> but that was my bizarre thing that happened to me today the past five minutes. That literally just happened, so I had to share it. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I thought the dog was going to chase you back weird. into the car like uh, Max. <laughs> no, no, I'm not worried about that. That, that, that dog's on a rope. Uh, it's, it's safely secured by a rope <laughs> tied to a tree, so I'm not too concerned about that. Hopefully it's a dumb dog, so it won't figure out it can just very you know quickly chew through the rope. Oh yeah, yeah, it seems pretty dumb to me. It's, I should probably report on animal control or something. I'm not sure that's humane, tied to a rope, but whatever. Um, anything else going on, cool, other than Miyamo Moses? Anybody? Yeah, well, not trading. Come on, Azil, you had an exciting weekend, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I guess I started playing EverQuest again. Fuck <laughs> that's about, yes, that's about as exciting as what? it gets. That's fucking exciting for for me, anyway. Yeah, well, why why is that exciting? But if I'm replaying Diablo three again, you know that's not exciting. The thing is, I didn't play the game for like you know twelve years or something like that. So yeah, it's been a while. All right, well, that does make it. Yeah. The only reason I'm replaying is because a friend of mine, you know, my, the, the, my best friend, you know, that uh, I played with uh, at the time, you know. Has been replaying the game, and you know, I guess he just lured me back in. So we're just back in the old spot, doing the same old shit, you know. <laughs> just you know, ten years later. So yeah, was it was it different at all? Was it what was dramatically different for you? Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not that different, except maybe the fact, uh, you know, I was you know, like I, it took me a while to find my guy because they they'd moved you know servers. So yeah, I like to try you know. I had to try every server one by one. At first, I thought, wow. you know, they just deleted the character, but mm. I, I found him. Yeah. Then, you know, when I clicked on the guy, he was like, you know, naked except for the sword. So I thought, shit, my account oh, was, man. you know, hacked. Was it? And, you know, and actually, no, when I logged in, you know, he had all this stuff on him. So I guess it was just a bug, you know. Oh. Anyway, yeah, the thing is, he's just dressed like uh, a bum, you know, a homeless guy compared to, you know, any newbie now has got stuff that's, you know, Ten times better, so yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. So I bought, we bought some new equipment, you know, in the bazaar, and uh, mm. we set off to just do the same old shit, which I guess I'll be doing for a while. But you know, it's a good thing it's free because it's not really worth, you know, paying for. I was gonna ask if it was monthly or not. I couldn't remember if it was free to play. So, no, at, at the it's time, it's cool the... that your character was still there. Yeah, yeah. For twelve years. That is really that's cool. like the coolest thing to me. Like, wow. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting. It seems they have really... Because I had some bullshit characters I kept but didn't really give a shit about. And, you know, they actually deleted those guys, you know. But, you know, my main guy, you know, was still there. So I guess, 
you know, they did, you know, prune, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, the old guys, but they kept, you know, the important characters and for people who stopped playing for a long, long time. Maybe there was like an hours, you know, limit. Like if you played someone for like over, you know, a hundred hours or fifty hours, they'd save it. Well, yeah. Well, I guess you know, I played a guy over a hundred days, so hmm. I guess that fits the bill. So, so MMOs have never been very exciting to me, but hearing the stories Azil has said about like the time, the early days of, of MMOs, like EverQuest, it, honestly, it's very exciting to me because it was it was an uncharted area. You know, it was kind of a no one knew what to expect with that genre at the time, and it was it was a world that was constantly growing and changing, and and you didn't have a fully detailed map of everything. Like things were still being like charted out, and it just seemed like a more exciting, heady time, and it seemed more like more endless possibilities than very rote procedural stuff, which is what WoW seems like to me. Like, if everyone knows exactly what to do, it's, like, kind of boring. But uh, EverQuest sounds pretty exciting. Well, what's for sure is that the game is a lot easier now. So yeah, really, you know, sure. lower the, the, the level. Now, when you die, you respawn with your equipment on. You still got you know, your cops to, you know... You, know, you have to go get it, you know, and get resurrected, but, you know, it's, it's all a lot easier than it was. You know, the XP is a lot easier to, you know, to gain as well, and everything is easier. They have maps, you know, in-game maps, of course. Right. You've got some kind of mercenaries you can hire too that cost really, really, really nothing, and, uh, it's like you've got some guy with you, like, you know, you can choose some archetype, you know, tank, you know, damage dealer, healer, and, uh, yeah. It's really a lot easier than it than it was, but uh... the other thing I was looking forward to hearing about was you're a you're a PK, you're a player killer from yeah. back in the day. So it means you're kind of marked for death among other players, isn't that right? Well, you know, I, yeah, I was a bit um, worried when I started playing again, but it turns out I can't attack other people and they can't attack me. Oh, I, okay. You know, yeah, they've changed how it works, so now we can just like Probably I abuse think... each other. Yeah, I I think I can only kill other PKs, so it's it's actually a pretty you know I mean it's not at all how it was back in the day, so yeah yeah it's just it's more a hindrance than anything because I can't really you know even if I group with my buddy I can't really you know my spells won't work on him because mm. I'm a shadow knight, so mm. you know they are considered to be uh, detrimental to him when they should be you know beneficial, so. Mm. Yeah, it's just, well, I guess it's funny to have my name in red, you know, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, yeah, oh. if I could, I, I'd probably get it removed because, you know, it's not very useful. It's too bad, actually. But at the same time, since, you know, b- back then the you know, maximum level was 60 and now everybody's level 100. So, yeah, yeah I'd probably get raped by, you know, every random guy. That sounds pretty hot. I guess we can... um Move on. We, we, we will maybe have some time for video game discussion later, but I just want to jump into that because I was excited to hear personally how Azeal's adventures back I, in Everquest. I've actually got some screenshots which I took just for you, so I'll see you later on. Excellent. Does it have the text associated with your spell cast and all that stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah, it has okay. some of that. And, uh, yeah, uh, it has me, you know, fighting a stone gaze or cockatrice, you know. <laughs> uh, formidable wow. opponent. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's some kind of big chicken and, uh, yeah. It's not very. They are, they are nothing to me. I can just you know kill them in like you know three hits. Does the, does there ever, does the EverQuest cockatrice have balls under his chin too? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, not you know, not like that, but okay. you know, yeah. Mostly. It has a sack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
No, what's interesting to me is when I'm thinking of what I remember EverQuest looking like, I think this happens to everyone, go ahead and confirm, but, like, you sort of up the graphics, like, I'm probably thinking of, like, Morrowind, and I bet it looks much, much worse, right? Well, no, actually... It know, did, it did back in the day, sure. Yeah, but... they upgraded it, um, you know, oh, okay. shortly, shortly before I stopped playing, and... Uh, you know, it's funny because some stuff looks alright. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's about on par with Morrowind without any mods or anything. But some stuff, you know, they, they haven't upgraded at all. And in like, it's just, yeah, you can tell it's old. You know, like, you know, my starting city, Nariak, which is a place of the Dark Elves, uh, they haven't really upgraded it at all since I started playing long ago. So it's still very, you know, it's, it's separated in three different zones, which are small and, you know, the textures are, you know, I mean, if you start looking at the textures, you're like, wow, what the fuck? You know, it's like P- PS1, you know, level stuff where it's just, you know, some mishmash of brown and gray shit that doesn't look like anything. You know, you know, it's rock because it's supposed to be, but it's just, you know, it doesn't look like anything. So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty limited. But I, I think the newer zones are supposed to be a bit prettier. But, you know, I'm not sure I even go there. We'll yeah. see. We'll see how long you can uh, your appetite once, will sustain itself. Let me just say one thing though: the game finally works, you know, flawlessly now. Like ten years later, on my new computer, yeah, finally <laughs> it doesn't lag anymore. It's it's fine. So yeah, it took took them ten years, but uh, yeah, the game though works, you know, pretty smoothly. Well, it took France ten years to lay broadband lines to most residential oh. homes, you know, instead of fifty six k dial in. Yeah, no, no, I don't, don't get, don't start in such France like that. It's not, about, it's not about the broadband. You know, I used to play on a, yeah, on you a, stand for this. yeah, on a modem, you know, I used to play on a 56, you know, K, yeah. you know, modem, and, and it was fine. The ping was fine. The ping was never the problem. I guess the ping was a problem, you know, at times for raids and such, but mostly it's just the graphic engines that was, you know, fucking terrible. Oh, okay. So, you know, they, they had all these fancy, you know, effects and such, but if you, they were like, you know, Five people in the room, all doing their thing. It's just, oh. you know, I mean, the computer was killed by it. And, uh, yeah, that's what I meant. It's a okay. graphic engine. Actor. It was Not those really. American graphic engines that weren't working. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, you know, I don't know how they did it back then, but I've been playing with a modem. It was really no problem. You, you didn't need DSL back then. You could play fine. I mean, I, I played, you know, I don't think I ever played EverQuest with uh, DSL, actually. I mean, before now. That really surprises me, given the amount of information that's got to be conveyed in an MMO. I'm surprised that the connection was able to hold it. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was a problem at time. But most of the time, you know, I had my ping was uh, 300 milliseconds. Okay. Which, when you think about it, I mean, nowadays people would just, you know, they would cheat their pants, you know, yeah, just watching intolerable stuff. But at the time, it was fine. It was fine. It was considered fine, you know, by the game. Yeah. But then again, the game had been conceived at a time where DSL didn't exist, so. Mm. That's, that was my point. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, kind of a lot of stuff happening on the forum, despite the fact that there's no Berserk news. I mean, it, it seems like this is a repeat of last month, or last time we recorded. There is no Berserk news. Uh, well, there's Berserk news. It's just negative news. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no, like, there's no new episode news, which is, like, to me, yeah. that's, that's the only Berserk news I really care about. But yeah, one of our forum members, Bender, um, who has a Futurama avatar name, uh, posted a lot of information that he'd been researching on Amazon, I think on another site as well, basically trying to determine how much uh, stock Dark Horse has of its back issues, which you know I'm sure all of us have heard about from other members saying 
you know, volumes 14 and 15 popularly have been the most notoriously hard to find, I think. I've heard that for years and years. But, you know, you hear isolated cases of it. You don't really think about the big picture of the problem. And so he put together numbers about what the shortage was actually like, and it seemed like pretty much nobody had these copies. And so with his information, I wrote uh, a number of places, but ultimately got a response from Dark Horse on the forums from an editor of Dark Horse basically saying that the demand for those volumes is so small that they have not found the need to well, – the need to – the business – uh, uh, motivation, you could say, to reprint those volumes en masse. The minimum order they can make is a thousand, which he said was to sustain them for like eight years because the current demand for middle volumes is between 80 and 170 copies per year. Now, what this is doing is painting a picture of Berserk and the demand for Berserk domestically is pretty grim out there. What we don't know are what the uh what the rate of sell is for a newer volume, like say whenever thirty seven comes around, I'm, I'm assuming next year or maybe late this year, what's the sell going to be of that? Is it going to be tens of thousands of copies? Is it thousands? Is it hundreds? Uh, you know, I think uh, you know based on the numbers, you know, I've looked at, I, I think it's uh, over ten thousand actually for a new volume. Okay, you know, based on the existing user base, so I think they would probably print, I don't know, between, let's say, to take it large. 8,000 and, you know, 14,000 volumes, but mm-hmm. uh, probably not more than that. And, uh, yeah, that would probably be enough to sustain them for a while after the initial, you know, onslaught. Right. But the, the sad part is, you know, if you're a newer fan, if, if, say, you heard about the series through a friend who was promoting the series through the, you know, the new animation or something like that, the new movies, you know, and you wanted to legitimately start reading the series – you would be kind of at a roadblock. You would not be able to you get you'd be able to get maybe one through eight or nine, and then you start hitting some out of cell ones. You know, you can't find these copies of ten through fourteen or fifteen or sixteen. Which, you know, you kinda wanna read everything. You wouldn't want to stop and then hassle your friend for more. I I just seem like this is not a long term growth, you know, uh stance to yeah. be for the company. <laughs> they can't sustain this and they're not gonna newer fans aren't gonna stick around if they can't read the whole series or eventually read it piecemeal. So you know, I'll tell you one thing. If I were a new fan, you know, like if I, myself, if I'm interested in a series and you know, I'm looking like, well, this shit, it, it has uh, you know, thirty volumes out. So okay, I'm going to go ahead and buy the thirty volumes. So I look at it on Amazon and I see, you know, like ten volumes are out of stock. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm doing? I'm not buying them. Yeah. I'm not buying them. I'm like, okay, I'll wait. Or yeah, maybe you buy, you know, the first 10 or such a thing. But if like, you know, if even the first volume is out of stock, then I'm not buying them because, you know, I can't, you know, I know I'm not going to be able to read it, you know, through to the end. So it's a waste of time. You know, might as well wait for later on, uh, you know, if, if it gets reprinted or not or whatever. But right. the thing is at this point, like you said, it's just not, I mean, looking towards the future, it's just, you know, it's not a good strategy. Yeah, I mean, the point I made in the thread was not just that, not just, it's not just the fear of people saying, well, fuck it, I won't read the series. Maybe I'll come back later. It's also, why don't I just steal it? It's readily available, uh, if you search for it and you can just pirate it for free and have it within seconds instead of having to wait for shipping from Amazon or whatever. Why don't yeah. I just steal it? And so it's created this predicament where it's a completely no-win situation for the series to be in because pirates have made getting it easier, quicker, and free uh, versus getting it legitimately, which costs money and time. And uh, you know, maybe it won't be in stock. Maybe you won't be able to finish the series that way. So this is an untenable situation for newer fans. 
from an older fan's perspective, all I can do is look back and frown because, I mean, I bought them as they came out. It sucks that that's the, the case, but there's nothing we can do about it other than rattle the cage. You know, this is the situation we're stuck in. So part of the conversation I had with the Dark Horse guy was, well, what are you guys' options? And he actually said, if you can think of a better plan, I'd love to hear it. And I'd, I'd suggested, you know, talking to people on the forum was, why don't you guys look into digital rights, you know, and distribute it online? That's just something that, you know, American comics, Marvel and DC – I uh, have a, a big push policy for that now. I think actually Marvel has this thing where you buy a, a copy of it, you get a, a download code for each issue. I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing it now, which is, I think it's pretty smart. Yep. But, um, yeah, yeah. Well, he basically said, well, we've discussed that with Japanese people. We'd love to do that with the publisher, but they'd be saying no, you know, just flat out no. It doesn't work, you know. So J- Japan, we've talked, discussed this before on the podcast and they're just not interested. And looking into digital rights or digital distribution right now, uh, but that's where things are, and that's where things are going. Uh, no, print's not a growing medium. Let's put it that way, you know. So yeah. it's frustrating to see the series caught like that for newer fans, but um, it's it's ultimately going to have to come down to Hakusensha, Hakusensha, the Japanese publisher, opening the floodgates and saying, "Fine, here we go, digital distribution." Let's put it at a decent cost at least and get this out the door instead of just having stagnated volumes, you know? What do you guys think? Well, well I don't know if they care about, like, I don't know. Do, I mean, it depends on how much they care about, like, the Dark Horse version of Berserk selling. Mm-hmm. I mean, for them, that might just be like, uh, you know, they just see it as like, oh, that's just a licensing deal. We already did that deal. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll worry about doing the deal with the new volumes for them. If they sell out, you know, great. You know, they might just look at it that way. Like, they're not – it sounds strange, but I don't know how concerned they are with, like, the proliferation of Berserk in America once they already sell out, you know, sort of like the initial stock that Dark Horse prints. I'd actually like to know that. Like, how many – like you were saying, we don't know how many volumes have already been sold of all those volumes, how many they printed initially for them to be out of stock. Well, we know the Dark, Hor- Dark Horse has said they have over 500,000 sold. Yeah, so it's Serious. so it's sold well. Right. Um, the, the motivation as far as the Japanese publisher is concerned could be, you know, there's a licensing deal. So maybe it's licensed. Maybe they get a royalty per copy sold, you know, and if there's no copies being sold, then they're just missing out on opportunity right there. Yeah, but maybe not. That's the right. thing. You maybe know? not. It's true. That's, yeah, that's the thing. Maybe they don't care because uh, if they've got a deal like, you know, whenever Dark Horse, you know, agrees to get volume, you know, it's so they get – yeah, yeah, they get a rate. I think they probably get, you know, some share on, you know, I don't know, a bunch of, you know, sales, but it's probably, I'd actually like to know the details because it might explain, you know, where they're coming from, you know, all of them. But, and that being said, you know, aside from that, uh, Dark Horse is not, it's not one of the main players as far as basic sales are concerned. Not right. even when it comes to international sales, you know, so like currently there's a, over uh, eight million and uh, five hundred thousand sales of you know Berserk intentionally and uh, well if Dark Horse is just you know five hundred thousand that's that's not a lot you know yeah so you know which is I guess it's surprising because you know English is a global language and you know there are a lot of people in America and in you know plenty of other countries who rely on the English version so I guess it goes to show that you know there are some things that's preventing people. You know, to get the English, you know, version because, uh, you know, obviously other, other versions in other languages are selling pretty well. Yeah. 
It's just, I mean, when we're, it's, it feels like we're almost better off hoping for like, you know, because it was funny because I was when I was reading the thread and it was like, you know, well, maybe they're gearing up for a special edition. Right. Reprinting. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is very optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> like talk about looking at the, you know, the best, <laughs> best uh, case scenario. But I mean, for anything like that, I guess our, you know, the only hope for English readers that would like something like that would be like if there was like a British version, you know, and I don't know what dark, if Dark Horse's deal precludes that or, you know. Yeah, actually, I wondered about that if, you know, there could be, I don't know, like a New Zealand version or an Australian yeah. version, you know, something or British. But uh, I, I think it's probably doable. But the thing is, since Dark Horse already has a deal, uh, I'm not I'm not sure, you know, another editor is going to, you know, to go for it. Because the thing is, Britain is not a big market for comic books, you know. Yeah. And so I, I don't think, you know, you know, players there would be interested in doing it. You know, I actually think uh, a special edition, I, I like a deluxe edition or something, like, is the best chance we might have of Dark Horse reprinting the older volumes because it would be an opportunity for them to sell them again to the same people who already bought them, you know, like, yeah. hey, hey, guys, you liked them before. Well, you love them now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that's uh, honestly the best chance we have. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to be, like I said, they don't seem to be interested in doing that for now. So, at least they didn't say so. There must be some fact. conflict about it just because with the release of the, the new animes, it's like that is an opportunity. Like, because they have to, you know, they're, I'm assuming that that demand they gave out the 80 to like, you know, 180 volumes or 160, whatever it was, you know, that was before the animes came out. Because, I mean, just... It just happens. Like if a new anime series comes out, there's going to be renewed interest in the manga. So yeah. are they? His statement was that was like current because what I was doing was quoting Bender's numbers, which were current Amazon numbers. And the guy said, the editor said, well, those numbers aren't entirely accurate. They are a good picture, a general general picture. But I went and looked at our current stock, and here's what it is. And he said the the demand is between eighty and one hundred seventy for those middle volumes. So he's like he's saying currently per per year. So, well, how well, is he like? I mean, it's a chicken and the egg thing where it's like, if you only if you're out of them, how do you know what the real demand is? Because you can't be, you know, obviously selling. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that are looking for it that aren't finding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's yeah, a point I made to the thread actually. I I think, you know, they are, they are being very conservative here. I mean, they they I don't see why you know at this particular time when there's a big mediatic push, you know, for Berserk with. You know, the movies and such, you know, if there was any time to actually reprint them, even, you know, not being sure if they're going to sell well, it would be now. So, yeah, I wonder if they're not preparing something. But if not, it's um, actually, it's, yeah, it's pretty disappointing because, yeah, if it's not now, it's, it's never going to be, you know, ever. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't detect any ulterior motives in the way the guy responded to me because, I mean, ultimately, he didn't have to respond to me. But he seemed to be very candid with his response to me. He didn't have to go looking through their current numbers and give me, you know, numbers for what their current stock is. I think he went out of his way to be honest about the situation. So I certainly don't detect any we're secretly holding back, you know, for a big push later or something like that. It seems like more like, yeah, it's pretty fucked out here. Do you have any ideas? Yeah, it seemed more like just straight up, yeah. like, yeah, you know, he's sharing his depressing story with us. Yeah. Like, yeah, here's why you can't find those volumes. It's like, right. oh, okay, that makes sense in a dreary way. Yeah, it's sad. <sighs> but uh yeah buy those new volumes when they come out 
I mean, is the lesson. I mean, to me, it just, I mean, I, it made me think like just sort of berserk is a, is a privilege, not a right. Like, you know, get it while you can enjoy it. Right. Stop buying statues and start buying volumes. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess everyone already bought the volumes though. That's the other thing. It's like, I don't know if, if everyone who, I mean, that's the thing that makes me wonder, like how much new demand is there? How many people that already, you know, how many people that want one already have one? Yeah. You know, versus how many people are there left over? And I guess that's the number Dark Horse wishes they knew. Like, is there only, you know, 400 people that really want one that can't get it? Or is Mm -hmm. there, you know, 2,000? And then they'd probably, you know, print it. But I don't know. Well, the thing is, given the size of the market and the size, you know, the amount of sales they've got, you know, there's got to be more people who would buy it if they could find it or if it was marketed to them. So that's the thing. I mean, if you know, 500,000 is a, yeah, it's, it's an honest, it's a good number, number, but it's not incredible. I mean. And it doesn't match the numbers that you've seen on torrent sites for the, the amount of time this berserk has yeah, been. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The thing is, you know, I went to check, you know, some, uh, torrent tracker stats when we had this little thread because I knew, I already knew from back in the day, you know, from having checked it before actually that, uh, the numbers were pretty big and pretty high, you know, and, uh, you know, you've got like, you know, in the past two years, uh, a torrent of the, you know, like, you know, whole series is, you know, downloaded maybe, you know, um, 60,000 times, mm-hmm. you know, and that's on one tracker. So that's, you know, 60,000 times, 60,000, you know, times, you know, each volume, like, you know, it was uh, But you first... know, that doesn't mean anything. It's not like those people were potential customers before, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it affects the, the sales at all. If people can get it, you know, for free, I mean. Hold on, I got. Oh, I got to check my tracker. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, I'm back. Uh, but yeah, you know, no, that has no effect. We shouldn't even. Don't, don't, don't bother questioning all our free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much the you know the usual response. But the thing is, yeah, and that's that's just one tracker. So if you you know add all of them together and the online readers and all the stuff and the people who you know burn CDs or DVDs and give them to their friends, you know. Yeah, it amounts to to quite a, a big number. So even if a fraction of these people, you know, actually bought the series, uh, yeah, it would result in much bigger, you know, sales numbers. You know, I think. And yeah, the thing is, even, if even like a quarter of them did, yeah, I mean, it's like it'd be a huge. quarter. Yeah, a quarter would be huge. Actually, even a, a hundredth of them would be would be enough to triple the current sales of Berserk. You know, it's it's just you know, yeah, it's just like that. And when you see, you know, I think the most likely the, the, the second country where Berserk is most sold, you know, after Japan is probably South Korea, you know, and, uh, you know, among those, um, eight millions, you know, it probably uh, at least three millions are from, you know, South Korea actually. So, you know, you don't have to be a big country or anything like that, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the number of people to, to actually sell, sell much, you know, it's just a matter of market and, you know, People's interest and how it's, you know, advertised and such. So yeah, Berza could sell more in the USA. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird market here in America. Just going into comic stores. I mean, I, I buy The Walking Dead every month uh, from a local comic store. Sometimes I'll let it go three months and I'll pick up three at a time. But you know, they sell Berserk there, but it's always tucked in a corner, similar to how like PC games are treated, like a GameStop, where it's like. Oh, I guess we do technically have PC games somewhere here in the back behind a curtain, you know, or something like that. You know, manga sells in, you know, you have to go to a big bookstore like Barnes and Noble or Borders if you want to buy them retail. And, and even there, they're, they're slowly dying off. Like, you know, Borders is now defunct. 
Barnes and Noble is kind of the last remaining bastion of big retailers that sells these things. Yeah. I, I don't even think they carry Berserk, Barnes and Noble. Um, I don't think yeah. they did before. I think that's why I used to have to go to Borders. For, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's tough. It's tough if you're just trying to buy at retail, and so you were thinking to buy it online, and Amazon doesn't have it either. So it's just this endless cycle. But uh, before we close out, I did want to kind of reiterate the numbers situation here because we, we we did throw out a lot of numbers, and I'm not sure we provided enough context, but. I started this conversation by saying, you know, the guy was saying that the middle volume, so let's say 14 and 15, sell between 80 and 170 per year. What Azia was talking about were numbers in the 60,000s that are being downloaded at the series. The Dark Horse guy is saying, we can make it make sense money-wise if we can sell a 1,000 copies of this one volume. Well, there's 60,000 volumes being stolen. <laughs> And all they need is a thousand to make it profitable, but they can't even do that. They're down in the 170s with this thing. So it truly is a dire circumstance. And the sad part is we don't see it changing anytime soon without a big shift happening in, in Japan. They can't start distributing those, you know, digitally. So I, I can't imagine a, a big push is going to happen aside from that. Even a special collector's edition is going to be roadblocked by, by publicity. You know, who's going to know to go, go buy those things? You know, we'll be trumpeting it, but who else, you know? So, yeah. Just will the sad. movies be enough to generate, you know, the interest? Right. Will people make the connection between the movies and the manga on a big enough scale? Right. Yeah, you just don't know. I sort of a like we've touched on it, but what is the digital rights hang up in Japan in general? Because it's not just this. We wanted, you know, episodes to be sure. digitally distributed. So, I mean, what is their objection to that? Do they feel like, well, why? Are, why is that just serving it to pirates on a platter? Or in their mind, do they not have a like? You know, means of security for that. I think they, yeah, I think it's, uh, they're, you know, just globally afraid of it on, you know, several levels. So the first thing is, yeah, you know, it's currently being, you know, pirated, you know, online, you know. So you know, putting it online, they'll feel like, isn't that, you know, making it even easier? But the truth is, of course, it's not because it's already easy enough. Right. Yeah. Then there's another part is that uh, they also make a lot of money via their, you know, magazines in which they pre-publish the series, you know, a lot of series, so they would have to, you know, retain, you know, to avoid, you know, from the, you know, digital edition to, you know, cannibalize the print one. And I think they've probably got some shares in the, you know, printing business itself. So if the shift towards digital was too, you know, too big, it might, you know, be a problem for them. But yeah, then again, I don't really know exactly how they're doing. I think mostly, you know, Japanese corporations, I think, are very conservative at heart, and uh, it may just be a matter of, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, them being just conservative and being, uh, you know, too worried about trying something new and, and such, and being the first to do it, and, you know, a lot of things like that, and also... You know, if they do a digital edition, would they make it available to overseas fans? Would they breach their contract with, you know, uh, overseas, mm. you know, publishers? So there, there's a lot of things to consider. And uh, I think that's one of the main reasons why they've been, you know, uh, holding on. But, but that being said, yeah, I think they, they ought to, you know, just, you know, go for it once and for all and uh, just, you know, globally, you know, I mean, just like for books, you know, for books, it's, you know, it's good now. It's, you know, it's happening. Right. Any yeah. new book is released digitally as well as, you know, yeah. traditionally in print. So, oh, we saw what happened to number mark. We saw what happened to music and now music seems to be okay. Uh, yeah. books, books are now having a, like a renaissance, you know, and now thanks to Kindle and ebooks and all that kind of stuff. So 
Why not hop on the horse, guys? I mean, I mean, movies, uh, movies too. Yeah, digital of course, copies yeah. with you know different mm-hmm. websites. What is it, Flickster and Voodoo yeah. and you know. So all it's not. That. Like, it's not like there's not a precedent here. It's just a matter of them taking that leap and pioneering it in the digital Japanese market. You know. I feel like they wait until it's like a necessity to sort of stay alive. Right. Yeah. When it's like when your print business is going to die anyway, that's when people you know. Yeah. start to make the jump but i mean does it also is it one of these things where if it does happen you know it's going to have to be more industry-wide and probably berserk would not be the first series course, like are there yeah. any series being distributed like it would have to be like one piece and naruto would be the first ones you know or something to do it and then later if it's successful you know we'd see berserk copy that model but you know the thing is you know there are some series already being, you know, available digitally in Japan and even actually in the USA. There was some, I think, uh, Viz did some, you know, digital manga and, you know, some other companies. I know, I know some companies do it. It's just not, you know, not industry wide yet. And, um, but yeah, in Japan, I think they already do it for some series. But, uh, yeah, Hakusen Shire are not exactly the most, you know, they're not really the vanguard of in change. <laughs> <laughs> Young Animaru. Yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah, it's just a sad, sad topic. And we've been over it a number of times before. And as Elie said earlier, it's like, you know, they're scared about putting it online because it would make it easier to do. Well, it's already pretty easy to steal. So yeah, I mean, it's happening anyway. All they're doing is not realizing a potential sale. You know, I mean, by not putting it online, it's super easy effort. It's not much up in, it's not much, you know, cash up on their end but they're losing potential sales you know it really me. is just a matter of like you're giving like the consumer a choice you exactly know? It's like you know the ones that are going to download it they can say oh you know i can kick some money you know yeah. mirror's way and yeah. still get what i want because it might just be you know it could be people that are like yeah you know they they're not going to order a subscription to young animal you know they're not they don't even maybe they don't even read like print comics right. anymore so it's like you're just giving them the choice, you know, basically making it easy for them to give you money yeah. rather than like yeah. take something for free. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I'm preaching to the choir, so. It's tough. Yeah. We'll move on. We spend a lot of time on the dark horse things, but if you guys want to read more, of course, we have this giant thread that keeps growing, people talking about it and realizing what's happening out there. So read on. But our uh, character focus talk today is on one of my favorite characters, Ganishka. Oh, I miss him. I do miss him. I do miss him a lot. I was I was very sad when he finally went away. I remember being particularly the way he went, of course, but you know, anyway, we'll we'll, we'll get there. But uh to me, it's kind of hard not to like this guy unless you're kind of a, a moron, but because <laughs> gotta, if, it's funny cuz he's like the king of the world, but you're also it's like rooting for the underdog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's the underdog. I mean, he's, he's the one guy swimming against this giant tide, you know. He's saying Sure, all apostles are clinging to Griffith, but I'm saying, no, fuck it. I want to be the ruler of the world. You know, you're going to have to secretly root for a guy like that. So the thing is, you know, he, you know, there's guts and there's Skull Knight and such. They're going against, you know, sure. the flow. I guess Griffith, but Ganishka, he's even bigger than that. He's not only going against it. He wants to, you know, be the, the one, you know, like, he, you know, fuck Griffith. I'm the king. You know, that, that's, that's his point. He doesn't just want, you know, he's not just opposing him. He actually wants to take his place to be the all-time ruler of the world. I think that's pretty, you know, and he, ballsy. And he has a he has a case too. You know, he earned it. He's been doing it. You know, Griffith is just showing up, and you know, he's getting it handed to him basically. Yeah. Whereas, you know, he spilled the blood to like unite. It's actually, and you know, it's also the sad irony that you know, basically, even this desire is probably just you know, of was in him to serve Griffith's purpose. 
Yeah. But, this, whole, this whole life. But, um, yeah, it's like, it's sort of a born, it's a, you know, he's sort of like, you know, it's not even born loser like scenario in one sense. Yeah. But that's what makes him like so sympathetic and interesting. And it's not even just his desire and his ambition that's and fascinating from a reader's perspective. It's also that we get kind of an inside look at an apostle more than we've had in, that I can remember. We get inner monologues from him. We get entire scenes devoted to him. We get his full backstory. Kind of like almost an entire episode of him is in his backstory. But And he's also this kind of like apostle renaissance man. He's not just an apostle with like brute strength. You know, he knows magic stuff. He knows transfiguration kind of stuff. He Possession, all the, the DACA creation machine. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of got it all. You know, he's not just this like a soldier or like we've seen most apostles being. He's really kind of knows, knows, he has his hands in a lot of different arts. Uh, so we see a lot of range from him too. Not just, you know, like you were talking about now, like where he's sort of, you know, he's very knowledgeable and sort yes. of, you know, Renaissance man, but also we see him like, we see him freaking out, you know, we see him, you know, mm-hmm. pissed off. We see him confident. We see uh, this huge range of emotions from him. Like we never see like Zod, you know, freaking out you know about his confidence like oh man yeah. i wonder if the swordsman really is better than me <laughs> you know skull knight <laughs> oh god I, I i can't beat him yeah. but ganishka you actually get to see him like sort of wrestling with his thoughts and you know what's mm-hmm. going on with him yeah his well, emotions so that makes him like probably i don't know he, he's one of the one of the best characters i'd say that we've seen just especially for someone who had such a relatively small like yeah. role to play he's only in it for Seven volumes. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. And it was sad to see him go the way he did. I remember talking to Azil multiple times, you know, Ganeshka's big line was that he wanted to, um, he wanted this, you know, dirty world for himself. What does he call it? It's a bloodstained world. Uh, yeah. for, you know, he didn't want basically Griffith and the God Hand to inherit it. He wanted to keep it the way it was. He wanted to have ownership of it. And he kept talking about how, you know, if he could, he would, you know, desecrate Griffith. And so I always thought he would somehow leave a scar on Griffith. I thought he would be the guy to, you know, cause at least a blemish to Griffith in his in his going, you know. Like, yeah, he'd go, but he would, you know, throw his might into, you know, finally, you know, causing kind of a rift in the God Hand's power struggle. But was not the case. was, in fact, the exact opposite of the case. His death brought about their reign, you know. So that really... He was Kinda. played, but yeah, at the same time, I think it's, uh, it's fitting because he was an apostle, you know, and sure. so, yeah, he was in the system and, you know, when you're in the system, you can't game it, so. Yeah. yeah. That's what then makes again, him, you know, interesting is just that, you know, he tried, you know, even as impossible as it was and even though it ended up serving their purposes, it's like just that makes, that's what makes him, you know, so interesting and more ambitious than any other apostle we've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. When is it that we learn as readers that he is an apostle? Is it when we start seeing his mouth change in uh, 27? We see his uh, – whenever he realizes a connection between Charlotte and Griffith, you see kind of this giant grin. Yeah. A panel of the grin and you start wondering, huh? Because before he's just introduced as the Kushan he just looks like a Yeah, he looks like a big, stern, you know, scary man. You know? You're right, yeah. We, we just figure he's like a – Essentially, a warlord, or you know, the yeah, he looks almost Christian. like a stereotype of yeah, like some you know, like Eastern warlord, right? Type, and then we find out, you know, he becomes this really interesting, you know, he's very creepy when you see that smile and you realize, you know, yeah, whoa, yeah. 
So about that smile, I'm, I'm look, I was looking through the volumes again and I realized it's very kind of, uh, amorphous what his form is. You know, trying to think of it always when I do these rereads is trying to think of it from the reader's perspective at the time. One would think that his apostle form would be something with a giant mouth. Yeah. You know, cause that's what we're, that's the kind of the impression we're yeah. given multiple times is uh, as the, uh, the Falcons come into his, uh, his, you know, palace and everything, he gets more and more excited about it, about the possibilities in his, and them being right here in his palace. And he gets this giant, giant, like jaw dropping, you know, grin on his face. Like his entire face is changing. Like, oh, he must be some kind of giant mouthed apostle or something. But no, his apostle form is fog. Like what? Well, and also yeah. all of his, like all the symbolism on his, you know, oh, yeah, his yeah. carriage and yeah. everything has the mouth, you know, the ship yeah. has it. And it's like, so it's, you know, he's going to be, and then, you know, we, like for instance, when we saw the, oh, what is it? Uh, Take your time. Sea creature. Did you just uh, say it? Makara. Makara. Yeah. yeah, the Makara, the Makara. When it comes up to the shore, you know, and it has that mouth. Well, so I the, remember the, just the tigers yeah. do as well. The tigers have yeah. the same thing. And my yeah. first thought was like, oh my god, it's that's Ganeshka. <laughs> that's his apostle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it makes sense. It's a giant mouth. It's like an elephant trunk. It's like, oh, this this makes perfect sense. And you know, it was just one of his minions. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting yeah. that his fog form, like the mouth isn't really featured any more than it is on his face when, you know, when it's just yeah. his normal mouth, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It was, it was interesting. I mean, it was just sort of an interesting, weird, like sort of how he would half transform into something, how his, his, you know, I don't know, his, you know, his nature as a monster was sort of represented, you know, in his human form more than most yeah. other apostles where he was constantly like, tra- you know, sort of half transforming into something. Mm-hmm. But, he, you yeah. know, his his full form was just, yeah, becoming the fog, which is yeah. also really unique. And I mean, I thought that was something he was doing on his own with magic. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So did I for the longest time. And, and yeah, uh, I we, we all did. Azil keeps on trying yeah. to get in here. Go ahead, man. I was just going to say, yeah, well, I agree with what, uh, with what you guys said. Is that, uh, for the longest time, I, I thought I was convinced actually, you know, that, uh, the fog, you know, was something he achieved through magic, you know, uh, along with Daiba. And I think actually the way it's portrayed in the series evolved, you know, like originally, you know, I think it's pretty, you know, logical to, you know, how to say, uh, assume. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, thank you. Assume that, uh, you know, he has an apostle form that's, you know, yeah, linked to that mouse and there's a way he can do that and that the fog form is separate, you know, in that he attacks by string lightning and such. And even later on, you know, I mean, the fact he can, you know, perceive what's in the fog, you know, covering the whole city. So like the whole city is, you know, within his grasp, you know, in the palm of his hand, like he says. And, uh, the fact, his, you know, minions like the sort of the priests, you know, can, you know, uh, inhale the fog and, you know, acquire some of his power like that and control the, the um, you know, familiars who are also imbued with the fog. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fog plays a role that's very linked to magic. Even Daiba is actually breathing the fog, you know. So right. when he's first introduced, he's, you know, introduced as some kind of, you know, again, a minion of Ganishka and not necessarily one that's, you know, uh, how to say, more knowledgeable about magic than Ganeshka himself. Whereas, you know, later on, you know, in the story, you know, uh, an angle is put that's, you know, quite different. Where actually, you know, the folk form is, you know, Ganeshka's apostle form. 
even despite the fact he, you know, managed to, you know, fuse with the clouds and to form that, you know, huge form yeah. and such. So that's, you know, uh, an effect of his, you know, knowledge of magic. But, you know, the base folk form is, you know, his apostle form. And Daiba is actually the one who gave him the Beheret and the mm-hmm. one who taught him about magic and the one who, you know, uh, apparently designed that, you know, uh, reincarnation machine, as they call it. Right. So... Yeah. So yeah, I I think actually I I always you know wondered if Mura hadn't changed his plans you know like you know mid story and I know that's a bit you know heretical to say so but you know I always very presumptuous yeah yeah it did <laughs> but I, I always well, wondered if that wasn't the case because I feel that you know from you know you know between what you first see and what ends up being the case you know the there's a, a little twist on it that's what I feel. Well, I feel like it could have been that just at the end, because you know his his you know his physical apostle form basically ended up being his you know double reincarnated you know sort of form. Yeah, and you know we don't know we we didn't get confirmation that the fog was the apostle form. We would have never known, as a matter of fact, if it wasn't for his backstory where it shows him at the end as the fog while his son is being devoured by demons. So that could have been something where Mira was just like, well, all right, I'm going to show him as an apostle. The only thing we've seen him as an apostle before is, you know, as in the fog form. So, you know, he could have just said, like, all right, well, that's just what I'm going to use to represent that, you know. And it's like there might have been a time where he intended to have him transform into something else. But it just, you know, he just maybe he liked the fog. He kept using it. You know, you don't know. It's yeah. but it's interesting because it's like it is a little, you know, it's it's a very it's very unprecedented. I mean, you can look at it like it, the average apostle would probably be like, what the fuck? You know, like if I was that chicken apostle, I wouldn't be too happy about the guy's <laughs> powerful fog form that, you know, wait, he can create any, he can make minions and have troops that breathe it and they become more powerful. What the fuck? And he can project <laughs> you know, himself across the, he can project himself across the entire ocean. With yeah. Yeah. I'm a chicken with a penis nose or something, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> like, Okay, yeah, so. and, and, you know, not to mention that actually, uh, we, we do see Ganishka, you know, when he's in a cloud form, I'm going to call it like that, and, you know, Guts and Zod, you know, strike him in the forehead. He was actually projecting his yeah. spirit, you know, in the clouds. Yeah. He was, you and know, sit- yeah, he, he was, was like seated, uh, he was at another location. Yeah. It was like the astral projection. That's what made yeah. it, us think it's like, oh, well, this is just like Shirke, you yeah. know, what yeah, she but, does. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, it's, it's the exact same uh, thing, and which is something Daiba apparently couldn't do. So, yeah, it, it's a bit, you know, yeah, it's always, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting, actually. It's pretty it's good. unprecedented. I, you know, that was a cover for inconsistent, but you know, it's just unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's pretty confusing, though. I mean, just even me looking back, I was like, okay, so here's his apostle form, but wait, he can project it, and but it isn't his apostle form. Oh wait, it is his apostle form because we see it in the in the background. But but when he loses, when he when that form gets dispelled by guts, he just it just retreats. he fall in the ocean. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when we first see him. Uh, use his fog form in 27, you know, he gets shot by Irvine and he trans- transforms real quickly. And I'm like, oh, well, that was just a, an apparition. But no, that was his actual apostle form. And then we later yeah. see the apostle form being projected. So it's me, it's, it's thoroughly confusing about what's actually happening. But I think as Eel said it best earlier, and I had not actually considered it before, but it is his apostle form, but he's able to project it using his knowledge of magic. Because what fur- further confuses things is Shirke talks about 
uh, isolating how he's able to maintain that form. And he's using elementals. He's, you know, he's gathering uh, basically water elementals together to, to make that projection. Yeah, water and air. Water and air, right. Sorry. Uh, but, but that's, that's, he's doing that kind of an extrapolation of his apostle form. You know, it's not as, yeah. as you can, you can infer sort of that it's not as natural. You don't know, state. you don't know where the apostle form ends and yes. you know, the magic, you know, begins. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the, yeah, that is to me, that is thoroughly confusing considering our knowledge of apostles before is simply, well, they get really big and powerful, you know, and like turn into big, you know, tanks basically, but. I mean, he's essentially the most unique apostle we've seen in the series, both, you know, his place in the story and, you know, just, I, yeah, looking at, like, the the physics of how he works, you know, if you just sort of, like, think of it, apostle nature is natural science, you know. Yeah. Like, there's none, there's no other one that sort of works like this. Yeah. Plus, you mix the magic in and it just muddles the water, uh, muddies the water further. As, as, cool as, as cool as he was, and I, I remember... In volume 31 or 30, this 31, when he makes his offer to Guts, I remember being super excited about that moment. Like, even though he turns him down in the same episode, I remember thinking like, oh, the possibilities. Yeah. That would have been if he accepted his offer. What a fucking (laughs) U-turn, left turn for the series that would have been, you know. Well, there was that weird moment because it showed those shots of everyone's face sort of like, oh my god, you know, what's he going to say, you know. Yeah. Especially since it's, it was sort of a accept or die, you know, situation at that point. Yeah. You know. You would yeah. think there there are times. This is a quick tangent. There there are times. There are certain stories where even if I'm rereading them and I know how the what the outcome is going to be, there are moments in that story where I'm like, oh, well, maybe he'll take this opportunity, or maybe it won't turn out the way I know it's going to turn out. And that was one of those moments for me was was reading <laughs> that, that scene again. Like, oh, maybe he's going to accept the offer. Oh, of course, he doesn't. No, maybe he'll yeah. do it this time, and it'll be yeah. like, oh man, <laughs> we're going a totally wild new direction. Well, yeah. wasn't there a rumor or some sort of confusion about – and this might date way back to like before the trolls were introduced. I believe it was like that there was going to be some apostle that joined with Guts or that they were going to associate with an apostle closely or like you know an apostle on the same side. That, uh, you know, so it got – People uh, you know, speculated about it, but I don't think it had any basis in uh, reality, you know. Was just, well, the closest thing would be Ganeshka because, I mean, he was, you know, the apostle with, and actually even extended that offer. I mean, it was it's one of these things where it's almost like a rumor that might have had nothing to do with the reality of what happened, you know, in a in a strange sure. sense, you know, came to pass. I, yeah. remember, I remember what it was based on. I remember back when we started talking about it and it was because of episode, I think it's 183 or 184, when you first see the troll, it, it's kind of referenced by that. You know, guy, they pass. Yeah, talking about the right. You see, they're talking about what's ahead. Like, you might want to watch out. You know, there's trolls in the area, and you see this picture of like a singular troll, and you're like, yeah. huh? So you think, oh, they're gonna come across this troll. Well, maybe the troll will actually be an apostle, and maybe the apostle will be an ally. <laughs> it was really like extrapolated speculation. Uh, at the actually, time. yeah, I, I think at the time, you know, people just assumed, oh, so it's an apostle that you know they call a troll, and you know, yeah, right. You know, I, I don't think I would assume it would join them. Like, well, because, if, because you know, when Guts meets apostles, they don't usually like hang because, out. <laughs> the, because it wasn't with Griffith at the time. Because if it was an apostle yeah. with Griffith, and then you know, obviously it's same thing with Ganeshka. You know, is an yeah. apostle that's not with Griffith. So, anyway, yeah, we, there's no reason to discuss it further. It was just an extrapolated speculation at the time. But huh. anyway, uh, yeah, it was Ganeshka. just weird that that prophecy, you know, even you know, came close. Right, to, right, right, you know, being fulfilled. Well, Guts recognizes them as an as an apostle 
kind of before anything else happens. Like he's Ganeshka appears and people are like, Oh, a giant. And then there's this panel of guts saying apostle. So yeah, I'm wondering like, if he's, if he senses him or just assumes based on, you know, the looming figure. I don't really know. I'm assuming he sensed him. Yeah. I think he sensed him. Evan, uh, yeah, cause he's pretty confident, even though it's like no apostle he's seen. Yeah. And the thing, the reason I bring that up is because we're just talking about how this is an, this is a projection of the apostle, but of course he can still detect it, you know, anyway. Oh, so that was a weird line to me that he could detect it, but. Yeah, yeah. He could tell there was like, he could tell when he was just walking through the city with the fog, right? He could sort of, he already knew like, mm, you know, the yeah. apostles, you know, he could sense, you know, that this was apostle in nature. Right, right. Yeah. That's a cool encounter though. That's one of my favorite little, you know, dialogues was between Guts and Ganeshka because for I love a while. Ganeshka's big smile when he makes the offer, like, you know, some businessman yeah. or something, like, join my company. <laughs> like, they're kind of, they're kind of like, chummy for a bit too. Cause Guts, yeah, like, like, I can Guts respect actually that. actually you know? kind of likes him. Yeah. <laughs> like for That's an cool. apostle. Yeah. <laughs> they get and along what, well. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting also is that Ganeshka, uh, notices that Guts is branded and, yeah. you know, he tries to be shrewd in extended the fact like, you know, the one who branded you must be am- among the, you know, the Falcon's army, you know. Yeah, right. only so, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, indeed. And so, you know, he's trying to, to, to convince him. And uh, I, actually, I found that pretty interesting. I, I think it's pretty interesting that Mura, you know, uh, you know, sort of it that way and, you know, made the exchange go in that direction. Like, you know, with Ganishka trying to convince him through different means, even, you know, at first... Just seeing his proficiency, you know, in battle, thinking he was actually, you know, one of the, you know, part of the, you know, Falcon's army as a captain, you know. Yeah. So to him, the, the thing was like, you know, this guy's exceptional, so he must be with my enemy. Then, <laughs> no, he's not. Then, oh, yeah, well, then in that case, you know, become my friend and, you know, let's fight together against that other guy. The wording it's actually. It's also interesting that he is the one that ex- sort of exposes that to, I think, believe most of Guts' band. I don't yeah, think they yeah. realize, you know, the significance of his brand and everything else. I think – does Ganesha spell it out, like what it means to, like, no, you know, how he's sort of damned? Yeah, and actually that made me think as I was reading just today, you know, Guts really hasn't told his people as he's following him what sacrifi- sacrifices are, apostles are. They don't have a fucking clue. Like whenever um, Ganesha uses the term brand or the the one that, you know, branded you must be among this, this group – it was like his panel with everyone like, what the hell are they talking about? Except for Puck, of course, who makes a joke. But Asidro says like dot, dot, dot. So, like, you know, yeah. you'd think these guys should be informed about basic shit like that at this point, you know? It's getting a little uh, ridiculous. Guts is yeah. sort of – I mean he's a good leader you know, in the moment, but he's sort of you know, not good with the intel, you know, the info beforehand. <laughs> like he, we're still waiting for those fireside chats with him and Skull Knight and everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's been, uh, you know, a bit uh, too private, you know, when it comes to that. But uh, then again, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's waiting. Uh, I, I think, of course, you know, by now it's clear it will all go down in, you know, Alfam. But uh, yeah, I'm curious as to how it will actually go down, you know, how it will be announced to them. It will be, you know, through Cascas, you know, healing or something like that. But, you know, yeah, it's gone on for, yeah, maybe a bit too far, a bit too long. Yeah. I think he just, you know, he'd rather, I think they're going to have to confront him about it, basically, because he obviously rather yeah. not, you know, talk about it at all. It's just why he hasn't told them. Then again, you know, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good way to show that, you know, you know, 
of course, others and, you know, everything else like the Beast of Darkness and such that he really was, you know, traumatized by these events, you know. I mean, yeah. it's not just, he's not just something, you know, you know, people like to depict it as just, oh yeah, he's angry. He's just, you know, he's got the rage. Yeah, he's, he's a berserk. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's more than that, you know. And, uh, actually, it, you know, people commented, uh, you know, I mean, people, characters commented uh, on it before, you know, the fact that there was a fear, you know, among these things and, uh, and even the, you know, the fact he, regularly thinks about it and he's shaking his bed and that kind of stuff i think yeah. it it really you know yeah he was really traumatized by it and you know in a way you know not as much as you know casca was of course but you know also i would say quite a bit like it's not you know it's it's pretty serious you know i think he was he's, pretty he seriously it in his own way like yeah, i yeah. don't think he's any less traumatized than casca it's just that you know he's sort of you know the yeah. way he's internalizing it is different yeah, so they're, they're both damaged, you know, that's why, yeah. The, the end is that they're both pretty damaged by it. I mean, he's literally and, uh, sort of becoming a monster because of it, you know, he's in the process, yeah. you know, and he's sort of, yeah, balancing, walking that line. I'm glad yeah. I'm glad you actually brought it back around to that because that is something I wanted to talk about because Ganeshka does reference it directly in their conversation. Uh, kind of hints at sort of the Beast of Darkness, actually. Uh, I'll read the, the Dark Horse translation first, and then I'll read Skull Knight's translation. Uh the one who gave the inescapable terror and despair as well as hatred born of living in spiritual darkness. And then the Eskinet translation is the one who gave you fear and despair that you cannot run from and the one who you hate so much that you were able to survive in the excruciating darkness. I mean, he's talking about the circumstances Guts has been placed in the past couple of years that basically, you know, ca- caused him to either, you know, fight or die and, and ultimately created who he is this, in this time now. But yeah, he's talking about the circumstances where the beast of darkness was allowed to thrive in this excruciating darkness, this spiritual darkness as yeah. Dark Horse puts it. And the wording of the Dark Horse really made me think, but I'm glad I did check the original translation because spiritual darkness is pretty vague and obtuse, whereas just, you know, surviving in darkness period uh, makes a little more sense. Yeah, well, I can vouch for this Canadian yes. translation. <laughs> yes, I, I know. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, 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 well... I think, uh, yeah, the exchange is one of, definitely one of the most distressing in the series, you know, you know, globally. And even the fact, I, I also loved, you know, you know, the original confrontation between, uh, Ganishka and Locus, you know, when, uh, yeah. he comes into Windham and Ganishka is very dismissing of them, you know, like saying, you know, just because they received, you know, so, says, some, so, so proud of what little evil you harbor within you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's exactly. No, it. I like and, how uh, Locus is dismissive right back too. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's a great exchange. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah, Locus does a nice little pissing contest. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Ganishka actually, you know, uh, how to say, comments on how Locus is indeed, you know, very powerful. You know, while he watches him, you know, decapitate, you know, Dakas <laughs> by the dozens and dozens of them. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was pretty interesting. You know, it's also not often that we see apostles fight each other. Like we saw, you know, Zod, you know, uh, how to say, you know, put you know wires out of his misery. But you know, it wasn't a real fight. So it, yeah, it was, was pretty interesting battle. Yeah, monsters versus monsters. And it was also it was interesting just from the sort of uh, the dynamic it creates because you know Ganeshko you know he would obviously you know he was like trash talking with Locus there and it sort of set up this sort of yeah, Locus representing you know like all the apostles in the band of the hawk and how they probably feel to some degree about uh, Ganeshka and how obviously how Ganeshka feels 
But it also yeah. keeps Griffith completely above the fray. Like he doesn't, you know, he has surrogates that will go and say these things to Ganeshka, but he never, you know, says anything to Ganeshka. He never shows him any pretensions. You yeah. Know, he's only he's only like kind to him, even. Yeah. You could say. When, I mean, it's like. Go ahead. Yeah, when he comes to him and he's just Ganeshka just falls on his knees, you know. That's <laughs> that's pretty much just how it goes. He just, you know, <laughs> extends his hand and that that's uh, the end of it. I think that's a good representation of, you know, the truth of it. He's like, you know, Ganeshka for all his attempts, for his tries, for his might, you know, he had no power and he never had any chance, you know. He was yeah. just, you know, powerless. And, yeah. uh, you know, at some time, I remember a very long time ago, I was, you know, you know, when uh, Zod uh, faced, you know, uh, the Falcon of Light, I wondered whether, you know, apostles were, you know, serving the God Hand, you know, like truly serving them, or they were just, you know, created by the God Hand and then could, you know, do indeed, you know, whatever they wanted to. Yeah. And uh, I, I think this is a case that showed us that, you know, there's, there's a limit, you know, a pretty clear limit to, you know, the freedom an apostle has. And uh, when it comes to facing the God Hand, when they're just, you know, they're they are little more than humans, actually. They, they can't do much, you know. They're just, you know, I mean, Griffiths could have probably snapped his fingers and, you know, Gaiska would have danced. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's so much emphasis... Oh, there's, so much, there's so much emphasis placed on the physical touch of Griffith in that scene and, of course, also in 34. Yeah. It's just such a mysterious thing because, you know, in, in 32, whenever they're in the tent or, sorry, the, the caravan thing, Kanishka is, like, so frightfully, you know, he's frightened of what might happen if he gets touched by Griffith. And, and we never actually see what happens with that but because uh, he changes it to his apostle form and can't be touched. But also, I mean, obviously Griffith was doing that to draw out his apostle form and, you know, begin the ruse of making him retreat, et cetera, et cetera. But, of course, we see that come back in 34 when he actually does touch him and opens up the whole uh, world. So, anyway, I thought that was really strange, such emphasis on the touch of a god hand. Well, I mean, I guess, I don't know how, in that moment, would Kanishka, if he was afraid of, like, that Griffith's touch would actually kill him, or if he just thought he would be, like, basically, you know, his thrall, you know, at that point, you know, and there'd be he nothing. Sa- he says so. He says, uh, he, he, it, yeah, he says, like, he'll give up everything, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's, yeah. and it's like, yeah, he says, the feeling is maddening, you know, I remember that most of all, and he looks, it looks great, you know, how he's sort of slumped down and sweating, and, you know, it's like, he wants to, you know, serve Griffith. Right. It's like you falling so apart. Much. It's like falling apart yeah. in his presence. And of course the touch would just overwhelm him. But, uh, I guess that's all it really is, is, you know, as much as resistance, a show of resistance, resistance that he's putting up, it can only go so far when he's in the presence of a God hand member. So. And I think the closest Griffith, like, goes to showing sort of any aggression towards him, and, you know, until the end is, uh, when the apostles, you know, start like, you know, growling, you know, at him. I remember Zog, because he transforms and he starts saying, oh, he's going to ravage him. And, you know, Griffith right. sort of just has like a smirk on his face and puts his hand up telling them, you know, don't, don't worry, you know, don't embarrass us, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. don't worry about this. <laughs> Not a big deal. Let him, let him do what he has to do. <laughs> so, um, this is kind of speculative material, but how much information do you think Griffith had about, uh, how the, the world was going to change. Uh, of course, we, we have to presume based on Rakshas entering the, the palace and seeing the DACA machine or DACA transformation machine uh, and coming back and reporting at Griffith. Do you think he relied on that kind of report or do you think he had knowledge of all this beforehand? I think he had uh, 
he had knowledge of uh, a lot of things, you know. And, sure. But yeah. may- maybe, you know, he did, you know, Jose. Maybe the confirmation was useful to him. You know, it's like, yeah. I-, I think, you know, uh, generally speaking, the, you know, any member of the God Hand is going to have a lot of knowledge on, on sure. a lot of things, you know. But at the same time, you know, they are not omniscient. So, you know, uh, at some point, yeah, he's going to have, you know, I, I think Raksha's going there was for a reason, you know. Like mm-hmm. the recon wasn't just any, yeah, of course it was. I mean, he killed the guard and such to prepare for, you know, the attack and such. But, you know, going to see the machine, you know, yeah, I think it uh, served the purpose. And, um, but, uh, you know, I, I do believe Griffiths knew that, uh, you know, Ganishka would transform and that, you know, the Skullite would show up. Yeah. They expected this to happen. And, you know, the, I mean, what eventually happened, you know, the creation of Falcon and such, all of it was, you know, what they expected to happen. It's what they wanted to, you know. Sure. To make happen. Well, the irony in hindsight is just that, you know, he could have sent Rakshas there to make sure Ganeshka was on schedule. You know, <laughs> that like, you know, the machine was, you know, the machine will suffice. You know, it will do the job we need it to do. Because he could have, you know, had it destroyed. You know, he could have stopped the production of DACA. He could have killed Ganeshka yeah. that night. You know, so it's interesting to look because it's like we didn't we didn't even know that at the time, like what Griffith's, you know, game was like what, you know, what sort of threat Ganeshka was like. Why was he why did he Mm -hmm. have to, you know, use a diversion to steal, you know, Charlotte, you know, and all this, you know, was this actually like a problem he's going to have to overcome? And then in retrospect, it was just, you know, it was all a game, all a show until, you know, he was he was like basically carrying Ganeshka to the point he needed him to get to. Yeah, yeah, I think I think at the time we had thought that the reason he had postponed the battle to Wyndham was just so it could have a a decisive battle with everyone there to witness the downfall of the Kuchin Emperor. But obviously there was a lot more going on behind the scenes that we're now witness to. But yeah, it's such a small vision of what was to come. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I'm feeling sad for me because I remember he's on his knees on the ground and Griffith is telling him this and, you know, he gets excited like, yeah, you know, I'll show you, you know, like, you know, like, okay. You probably shouldn't do what the enemy general, you know, is telling you under any circumstances, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, the right answer, you should have just said, like, well, fuck you. I want to have the final battle right now. Right. But, uh, you know, go ahead and kill me if that's how it's going to end. But uh, it was just interesting because I remember, like, cause he was he was serving even in his rebellion, you know, almost. Like, he knew it. Like, you know, and it was almost like he was trying to impress Griffith at the end, you know, when he was so frantic to, you know, mm-hmm. like transform and he needed to be more powerful he doesn't actually say anything like that but i mean it's just sort of you know i think he was not a sense i got through his behavior i think it was just at that moment whenever he was brought to his knees you know this is a guy who rose from you know of course he had kind of a life of royalty but you know he kind of gained his own power and, and he probably once he became an apostle didn't have a lot of rivalry no one could really stand up to him but suddenly yeah. this guy brings him to his knees just by being in his presence so he felt he had to really Go out of his way to become something greater. You know, he could not stand up to this guy toe to toe. Yeah. So what what can he do to up the game for him on his yeah. side? You know, and so he's going to go all out, do everything he possibly can, and transform himself. Obviously. Yeah. What's What's really yeah, sad? Yeah, to- that was like the. In- Sorry. Go ahead. There was also like sort of an insane fear from what I remember where, you know, Dive is trying to stop him and he's like oh, saying, I have to do it, you know, I got to do it, you know, it's like the, you know, the Falcon is coming, you know. Yeah. He sort of knows that, you know, it's like the time is nigh for him and, you know, he's got to, yeah. it doesn't all, matter. It's, you know, it's, it's all or nothing for him at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I, 
Uh, I think it's clear that, uh, you know, the encounter when they were outside of Ritanis showed him that, yeah, he really had no way to compete, you know, to even dream of competing without dramatically, you know, without doing something really, you know, dangerous. And, uh, and that's what he did. And I yeah. guess, uh, yeah, I guess it could have worked, but it didn't. <laughs> about his, uh, backstory. Yeah, I was about to jump into that. What I was going to say about the backstory mostly was just, it's sad that, the backstory is tall, is all related to how about his, basically his, his fear of maintaining power and his fear of succession. He's afraid of the look of his son, you know, even when he's a child and he grows up ultimately to try to overthrow his dad. And, uh, you know, his whole life was ruled by fear and, and, and fear of, of staying in power. And ultimately his whole existence is just to be the, you know, the, the vessel for the new world to, you know, for him to lose power and to hand it over to Griffith basically. Yeah. For it to be basically, yeah, the fallen, you know, like, yeah. You know, the old guard. But there's also this this theme of uh, not even just, you know, uh, literary theme, but also a visual theme of light and darkness throughout this whole uh, character backstory, which I always found interesting. And, of course, it, it ties in seamlessly to the uh, the title of the episode, Backlighting, which is all about the light of the Falcon of Darkness uh, reaching out yeah, to it's, him. We should mention it's unique because it's all in silhouettes. You know, all yeah, the yeah. figures are yeah. silhouetted. Right, you don't right. actually see their features or faces. They're just all completely black with yeah. eyes, you know, and it's great for those scenes where you can see their fear. And the moment where he says, you know, when his son is trying to, you know, pull that coup mm-hmm. and he looks at him and he says, and he looks, you know, he sees fear in his eyes and he looks just like I did looking at my father before I killed him, you know, <laughs> and he's, you know, yeah. it's like, it's not even out of like, it's not a betrayal. It's just like, he's so afraid of him. He has to destroy him. Right. And it's, it's just a really interesting I don't know. It's a really, it's a really touching episode just from, you know, sort of how bloody and tragic it is. Yeah. You know, the thing with his, his mother trying to poison him for the sake of his, you know, younger brother that she dotes on. And then when he ends up killing the younger brother, she kills herself. And it's just a, it's a it's, horrible. Life. Yeah. It's and, super looking through this. It's super economical. We're talking like, yeah. it looks like 10 pages or 12 pages just for his entire backstory. Tells a lot and really dense. It, yeah, manner. it really is like you feel like you get a sense of his entire life and that just the lifetime of like you basically yeah. get the highlights of just like, yeah, this is sort of, you know, what defines his existence, you know, all this horror. Yeah. And yeah, and right down to, I believe, is, let's see, does, I think at the end of that episode is just when, is that when Griffith approaches him or is that, I think it segues directly into touching him, right? Well, it, it ends with Skull Knight appearing and slashing. So it goes. Okay, so he already. So they already go through. You know uh, that great reveal of uh, Femto. That's why I say it's sort of that final sad touch. That's why I'm saying it's truly an economical episode. So much happens in one little thing. Twenty pages, and also all that crap happens. So, yeah, very memorable scene. And uh, I I wonder about the graphical style of it, the the silhouette nature of it. I wonder if that's going to be a repeated theme if they ever if they ever do when they do character backstories, or if this was merely a a cushion kind of artistic look at, uh, uh, of how they're going to do things. I don't know. No, actually, I don't know. Cause whenever they mention the, uh, in volume 18, they talk about, they're, they're talking, telling stories and they mention the story about the, the nun. Right? Oh yeah. The nun is, she has a, I mean, it's something he'll use story. every once in a while. Like, well, I think we've seen other silhouetted figures, you know, before yeah. and just telling a quick backstory, but it was used differently here. I mean, just where we see it, like for such an extended period. And it was like, there was a, such a point to it in itself, other than just that we don't know the figures' faces. Sure, it's, it's just mere, playing with the darkness. It's, it's mirror's blackface style. 
that's why that's why the series isn't selling so well anymore. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about his death because it was. Sure. I feel like it's a sort of. I don't know. It's surprisingly touching. Like yeah. you know, even the you know the way even Femto is almost like. I don't know. It's almost like a loving, you know, yeah, sort it's of, an, you know, it's, an embrace. It, it's like, he's, you know, I mean, this is, this sounds like a joke, but it's like, you know, he, he sort of, yeah. Like I was thinking of the word embrace, but it's also sort of like how you would treat, you know, like, yeah, an old friend or, you know, like a pet. It was like, he was having his dog put down. It was like an act of mercy. Well, it's know? like, you know, they, they, both of them secretly know, maybe they, Ganeshka has yeah. to know how this will end, you know? Uh, trying to oppose a god hand. Once the god hand's in front of you, the, the jig is up, you know? And so it's kind of like them being honest with each other about their roles. Yeah. Like, it's time for you to go to bed now, old man, you know? And but it's, in the end, you know, Femto is, you know, he's sort of, it's almost appreciative. And, you know, Ganeshka gets this sort of peace, this fulfillment, you know? And he has that, yeah. like, I think that single tear that, you know, Femto, like, wipes away. Yeah. And it's this really strangely touching moment. Well, it's because it takes you off guard talking about you know, the entire existence of this person was to oppose Griffith and, and Griffith's forces and everything. And it, his end is so tearful, you know, and so it does yeah. catch you off guard in, in the way it's portrayed. But of course, at that point, the game was over for him. And so but he was also, you know, how much of his sanity was there left? You know, after the trans- transfiguration, you know, he was kind of just mad with power and was unable to contain himself. Uh, of course, it comes back to a little more lucid moment at the very end, but he yeah. was barely, well, he was barely the, even Ganishka. The thing, you know, is like, you know, the giant Ganishka form is, you know, yeah. confused and such, but, you know, that single lone figure at the top, I think that... Uh, that was like his real face. That's yeah. like all that was really left of him, I felt yeah, like. like. The rest of it was all just sort of like these mutant Ganishka offshoots, you know, with yeah. like all these... It's like he had multiple consciousness, you know, running well, through. Yeah, it's it, it just, it just tough. Uh, he pulled, you know, from the abyss. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe there were also other things there that took on, you know, his, you know, parts of his consciousness and stuff maybe like that. Maybe Vargas so. was in there. I don't know. Yeah, who, yeah. Who knows? Actually, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like so. a. There's a, there's a Dark Souls boss. It's kind of like this, actually. <laughs> Is there not Azil? Uh, which one do you mean? What's the one that was all fucked up that you had to roll around a lot for and it was destroying the whole level? Uh, come yeah, on, come on. It kind of reminded me of the Ouroboros, you know, boss yeah. in Resident Evil uh, 5. I, I can't even keep them straight. I was going to say 6, but uh, never mind. Bad joke. I, I, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember. Okay, I'll, t- I'll, I'll look it up. You guys keep talking. And whenever I say the name, you're going to go, oh, of course, yeah. So I'll look it up. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, Ganeshka's, you know, last scene was was very touching, and you know the whole episode was great. You know, as was you know most of his character. Even his relationship with Daiba. Actually, I think the fact Daiba survived is very interesting. And uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll see. Honestly, when I when he first appeared, I really didn't expect him to to survive like this because that's not how I thought uh, he would. You know. Jose Godin, you know, I thought, you know, he was portrayed as more of an underling, but, you know, yeah, he, took, he seemed he completely took, like just a throwaway toady. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, he took on the form of more of a right hand man and even a, a confident, you know, like a best friend almost. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And, um, the fact Ganishka was looking for him after, after his transformation and such, you know, when he was blind, you know, the, the giant blind, yeah, you know, no. idiot god, such, that kind of thing. Right. The uh, real quick, and then I'll talk about Daiba. It's called the Bed of Chaos. That's what I was referring oh, to. Oh, the Bed of Chaos. Yeah, sure. Um, Daiba also has this 
fascination with guts after he's able to defeat him. And he, he's shocked that someone could, uh, both defeat him and stand up to Ganeshka at the time. And there's this panel after Zod and Guts land after going through Ganeshka. And he's just like thinking about, you know, what, what it, what it just transpired. And there's this look on his face of like longing, like someone that could stand up to the, to the emperor, you know, he's fascinated by it. And it really made me wonder about what, his role is going to be moving forward, particularly since he did su- survive uh, all, all the events of, of, of Falcone and, all, and everything like that. What kind of position is he going to be in? Is he going to be someone that's openly embraces Falconia? I don't, I don't think so. I think he's going to be in the outskirts, similar to Silat and, and everyone else. So, what do you guys think about Daiba? Everyone else is going to join Guts Army in the future. The resistance. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what we're talking no, about? No, 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 no. I just meant like you know, which side of the rope is he going to be on the end? On the end of the day, I mean, I, I probably would be a conflation of resistance forces in the end, is what I'm imagining. Not just Guts leading the pack or anything like that, but uh, well, I can think of you know basically three scenarios where he either you know he does you know meet up with Guts again in some you know small or larger capacity. Where, you know, he'll either be killed, you know, at some point by, like, Griffith, you know, and his forces. Maybe he'll lead some, you know, like, foolish, you know, attack in vain, try to assassinate Griffith or something. Or we'll just, we won't see him, you know, or we'll see him in some very minor, you know, cameo capacity. Like, oh, look, there's Daiba doing something, you know, but he's not part of the, sort of the big picture anymore. I don't know. I think someone who had such knowledge of magic, well, the knowledge of magic that he had, of course, was, well... Be of use in this new world, maybe. Yeah, uh, to somebody. I mean, I can't. It's hard to imagine him joining Griffith. Like, uh, sure. Yeah. Or, you know, it's just yeah, it would just be weird for his previous loyalties. But I mean, who knows how loyal he really is? But he he just seems like someone that like at least was really was devoted to the emperor. Yeah. So I can't see well, him doing that. As the thing is, I don't think he has any like he has nothing to offer Griffith. You know, they don't need him. Yeah. So and he of He's course got a, can... like a pterodactyl. That's pretty, I, thought, yeah. I thought that was like the coolest random thing that you know has this been addressed like you know really discussed that he has this well he has he familiar there, he talks about his familiars that he inherited from Ganeshka including the but Kundalini. it's basically like a dinosaur well <laughs> it's a magical creature yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, some birds that uh, he you know was possessed by something or another you know Come on, if, if he was riding on a T-Rex, we wouldn't be able to get away with this. Oh, it's just <laughs> yeah. a magic creature. It's like, you know. Well, I think it's just like, you know, they explain the Kundalini a little bit. And I think it's just one of those. Yeah. I mean, he, he talks about the Kundalini, which he inherited from Ganeshka. I don't think it's much different from that, really. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, yeah, it's just, you know, it's not it's not the thing I'm most concerned about. It's easily explainable. <laughs> If, I, I kind of wish he was riding a T-Rex now, though. I think that'd be pretty awesome. As, as cool as the yeah. giant water snake was, the giant T-Rex would be a lot more formidable. But, uh. Or, you know, he might take three, you know, who knows? It was, <laughs> it was also funny how he just pulled it out of his hat like a rabbit. Like he's falling and literally a pterodactyl comes and saves him. <laughs> out of nowhere, he obviously called it. I always felt bad about it as well. I'm sorry. It has a name. It's not Gerudo. That's fucking like Ganon. What's the, what's the name of it? You know, Ga- Garuda is a, Garuda. It's like, yeah, it's actually, um, how to say it's an, it's a name of a mystical, you know, bird. Uh, there we go. In, there know. we go. That's fine. You know, yeah, in uh, Hindu mythology. So that, that's where it comes from. And uh, I was about to say, you know, I think if, you know, Murak could get away with, you know, a T-Rex that uh, bears some resemblance with, uh, 
you know, mythological Hindu creature, he probably would, you know, could try it. Oh, yeah. You know? T-re- a mythical Hindu T-Rex? That sounds like the coolest thing ever. I was yeah. just happy when I saw him incorporate, like, that classic dragon into the Fantasia. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, scene where – because it was like – because I was – I don't want to say disappointed by uh, by all the – Grunveld? Uh, yeah, Grunveld. Everyone's – I have no names today. Grunveld's yeah. a possible form. But he wasn't the kind of dragon I was looking for at yeah. the time. I wanted, sure. you know, a big, a big wingling dragon, let's say. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that, that fulfilled that dream. It would be great to see Guts, you know. Like <laughs> fight one of those. Yeah, actually, I I want to see Grunbell fight one of those as well. You know, just you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those is a possible form. Guts fight it and sort of you know it would just be the the joke afterward would have to be you know some really dumb dragon slayer joke. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, I hope so. I hope we'd get to see it. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say you know make the cover of volume three you know true to life instead of just oh yeah an image. Yeah, there's not there's not many Dragon Slayer jokes. If you're gonna have kill a Dragon Slayer, you, you can't really approach that in joke form. <laughs> maybe maybe Puck can do it. It just seems so on the nose. I'm sure it could be done. But anyway, it would, I mean, maybe if he like the dragon attacked and everyone was scared and guts just immediately cut its head off with the Dragon Slayer. And he's like, <laughs> well, you know, that's why I, why I have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think it could be fun if it said something like, "I wish Godot could see this," you know. <laughs> The one who didn't believe in dragons. There you go. You know, yeah. It actually looks like the dragon head that you see the dragon slayer splitting. Mm. Like I've has anyone? Oh done yeah, that? yeah. I, I kind of want to compare the details of the heads to well. see if it was two random long dragon heads that Mira drew, or did he actually? It would be funny if he followed the like. If well, he looked back at his old work and sort of you know did something similar. I doubt it's supposed to be that consistent, but one could say that since Mira does draw from reference books a lot. It's possible that he drew from the same reference book for both of those instances, maybe. But who knows, really? Yeah, I wouldn't. That would be uh, like something if, we, if I sent him that in a letter. Like, is this supposed to be the same dragon? He's oh just my like, God. Oh, what a what a fucking nerd, you know? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> it's like I don't. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, but that's actually that's a good transition. Actually, um, are you guys okay with ending Kanishka here? I'm sure we could talk about Kanishka for much longer. Um, but we did kind of chronologically follow things from his introduction to his end, so. Yeah, since we're pretty busy, might as well just move, move on, you know? Okay. Yeah. Talking about writing Miura, it is something actually I thought about doing again, um, looking through volume 37. And Azil has assured me that this probably doesn't make as big a deal as I thought it was. But at the time, looking through 37, at the end of each volume, it lists the staff. And, you know, his support staff does tend to change every five or six volumes or so, rotates through different people. But one of the constants has been Akira Shimada, which is his editor, uh, or listed as his editor at the end of each volume since volume seven. So that's a long stint that he worked with Miura. And now, of course, we don't know much about Miura's day-to-day life. So, uh, you know, how much interaction and how much hands-on work this guy did with Miura, we don't actually know. But... The fact that his name was taken off in 37 makes me think like, huh, that's kind of weird. A guy that's been with them for, you know, more than a decade or two, at two decades, you know, is now no longer working with them. So I kind of wanted to just ask like, you know, what's up with uh, Shimada? And by the way, uh, how are things going? Uh, Azil, you were saying to me that maybe it's not. 
Why, uh, the thing is, you know, yeah, sure, you know, he has his stance uh, change, you know, pretty regularly. I mean, some stay longer than others and such, but I don't think there's, like, any predetermined, you know, uh, time or anything like that. Like, you know, these times, there's also another guy that's not there anymore as part of the staff, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's normal because these guys, you know, I mean, they're supposed to be training and uh, afterwards they try to become their own, you know, their own man and to make right. their own, you know, manga. And, he's uh, really been there too long anyway. It's like he's a super like senior. Well, the thing is, yeah, yeah, you know, he's listed as editor, so it's not like he's part of the staff that you know really you know draws a manga or anything like yeah. that. He might he might just have been the guy taking a berserk at uh, Young Animal or anything like that. So I don't really know the details of you know his work, but given that he's the one who transferred our letter to Mira himself, I think he was you know uh, the man you know in charge of you know, Berserk, among others, you know, series, you know, at mm-hmm. uh, Young Animal, you know. So he, mu- he must have been, you know, taking care of many things. And yeah, I mean, he's probably either retired or just, you know, sure. not working there anymore. But, you know, so yeah, I'm not sure, you know, when I look at volume 37, like there's just, you know, no difference with volume 36, you know, in sure, terms yeah. of anything. So, I mean... I'm not sure it really, you know, matters much. And, you know, beyond that, uh, it's also worth noting that, you know, his name at the end of the volume was replaced with the mention, uh, with Studio Gaga, you know, which is, uh, you know, Mura Studio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what really is that, you know, I don't know what that really entails, you know. It's possible he would, you know, be incorporated, you know, as part of that, or it's possible. I, I don't really know, but. Yeah. So yeah, you know, overall, I don't think it's a it's a big deal at all. Yeah, it's just one of those things where if there's a change from the norm, you wonder what the what the reason for the change was. You know, since it's been so long, that's really what it comes down to for me. Is even if it means nothing, I was just curious about it. Well, you know, the thing is, um, we could check. You know, I would have to check uh, what other series you know Shimada worked on. You know, sure. as uh, within Young Animal and. Uh, if he's still working on other series and if he's still employed, you know, by Young Animal, you know. Yeah. And, uh, maybe yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah, or maybe, yeah, you know, there could be many possibilities. Maybe Mura decided he would take care of that stuff, or more, more likely, you know, he's just retired and someone else has yeah, taken like, the... do, do we know how old he is? Oh, absolutely not. We have nothing. We have absolutely zero information. We know yeah, his yeah. name. He, and... he could have been in his, like, 60s or something, yeah. and it was just like, well, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there, maybe I'm misremembering this, Zeal, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Was there there's some indication that he's the one that facilitated our interview answers with Mira? I can't right, remember. That's what, what I said. Yeah, actually, okay. he's, the one, he, he's the one who replied to us. You know, right, right, like, right. He replied saying, uh, "Well, here are you know Mira's answers to your question, which I, I had forwarded it to them." Right. So, that's like, right. That's right. You know, you know, the thing is, when you write to Mira, you're actually writing to you know young animal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you put, uh, you know, in between parentheses, uh, please, you know, it's for Kentaur Mira, you know, but the thing is, yeah, you, you don't write to Mira's, you know, mention or anything like that. You send it to Young <laughs> Animal and then they forward it after reading it if it suits them or anything like that. So, you know, I've been sending, you know, letters to Mira for, for quite a few years, but uh, I'm not sure if any of it even, you know, reached him or not. You know, I mean, I, I get, you know, replies, but, you know, actually I'm, I'm seeing bullshit. Yeah, I guess you know, he sent. You know, some he, of them have gotten through. Yeah, you know, he, no, he replies with, you know, I mean, he sends me podca- postcards and uh, he writes them himself, you know, and signs himself. Do they so. have? Do any have like XOXO on them, you know? Or <laughs> uh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to disclose that. Yeah, that's but, private. Uh, <laughs> 
But he'll, uh, he'll, he can't he can't kiss himself. He's not going to XOXO himself, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah sure. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, now you know. Watch me putting information live. There's some guy called Akira Shimada, which is listed uh, on uh, Anime News Network as a producer of the you know Berserk movie. Really? Who, yeah. Whose date of birth is you know uh, 1934? What? So ah. I, so I guess, yeah, it's, you know, most likely that he's retired after many years of hard work. More than Probably, 70 years. Jeez. Yeah, or, or maybe not so hard work. Uh, anyway, yeah, or maybe he's just dead. I mean, it's possible. And maybe he walked into the end. Yeah. Uh, well. Or it's, maybe, another, it's another Akira Shimada. How the hell did you get yeah. his birth date, you crazy motherfucker? On IMDb. Yeah. What? Uh, no, 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 it's actually listed on uh, Anime News Network. It's not, uh, oh. it doesn't really speak to But actually, yeah, I'm not sure it's the same guy. We'll have to check his sure, sure. name uh, in kanji. But, uh, yeah, it could just be a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it would be pretty awkward if we went through the trouble of writing Miura and what happened and we get a response that's saying he's dead. You know, like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> he's fucking dead, man. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. So, uh, other stuff about 37. Uh, the episodes for the flashback were reorganized kind of to be a little more, uh, I mean, it's different. Uh, they, they, they kind of squash everything together. Instead of doing the flashback, um, sorry, I can't think straight right now. Azil, explain it a little bit. Uh, sorry. Damn rock stars, muddling my thoughts. Yeah, uh, what were you talking about? 37 reorganizes the flashback episodes. I can't remember how exactly. Oh, yeah. So. Well, yeah, there's just, just, you know, the fact uh, after, you know, Gus came out of the Sea God, we got the flashback, you know, uh, right. the little three episodes flashback. And then there was, you know, an episode where you see, you know, the aftermath where, Back you know, the ship, right, right. yeah, it's a bit of a recap as well, you know, showing all the little interaction between the characters. So it's actually very concise, you know, for such a, you know, recap, you know, of everything, uh, you know, that's happened and, you know, what's at stake and such. And, uh, yeah, and so they moved that episode back, you know, before the flashback. So it, it's a lot more straightforward. Like, Guts comes out of the Sea God, then we see, you know, uh, the aftermath, and then there's the flashback. Yeah. So, yeah, I... You know, it feels pretty natural the way it flows in the volume, but uh, I kind of liked what it was before, so... Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm not, you know... I mean, I, I wouldn't have minded if I had stayed the way it was, but at the same time, I can't say I'm really, you know, bothered by how it is now. It's not, it's not really bothering. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think, you know, I don't know, both ways work. Sure. So I'm not sure it was, you know, necessary. Yeah, but, I, and like it's similar to the Akira Shimada thing. The reason we're focused on it is because it is a change to the norm, and so you kind of have to wonder why. Why did it change? Maybe yeah, Akira Shimada did it, and that's why he's <laughs> not there. No, honestly, I I don't think it's related. You know, uh, yeah. episodes have you know changed orders before, and uh, yeah, I think it's just one of these cases. I just don't think it's related at all. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we can assume anything like that is a case of it, it's Mira, you know, directing yeah. it. You know, it's his yeah. decision ultimately. The thing is, you know, Mura is a big shot for Hakusen Shai, you know, specifically for young animals. So I think he pretty much just does whatever he wants, you know. So he's going to change the episode orders if he wants it. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't want to, yeah, they're not going to do it. And that's about it. 
in pretty much the same way is that if he wants to just do a volume a year for whatever reason, you know, because it's needed, because he needs more time to do something or whatever, he's just going to do it and, and you know, that's it. So, yeah, it's just like that, you know. They don't have, you know, I don't think they're even trying to put any pressure on him. He knows, especially given his personality, he knows, you know, that the magazine also, you know, how to say, rests on his shoulders. So. Sure. It lives and breathes through him. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, now there have other series that work well, but yeah, Berserk is a big thing for them. So, yeah. you know, I think it's just a matter of, you know, he felt it was not that natural to have like, you know, this three episodes flashback and then, you know, the final thing, you know, on the ship. And yeah, I guess it could work. I guess it could work. You know, it, it, it also works, uh, it also works the way it's in the volume, honestly. I, I mean, I, I don't think if somebody who'd never read, you know, uh, the pre-published episodes in the order they were, yeah. read the volume, they won't, you know, even question it. You of, know? of course. It, yeah, it yeah. might just take some getting used to. Like, in a few years, we might not even remember, you know, we'll just get used to reading yeah. it like it is yeah, in the, I, I think the volume. Yeah, I think it's going to be the case because it flows really very naturally. I mean, yeah, there's obviously, uh, I mean, some kind of, you know, time, you know, elapsed, you know, between, uh, when the tech get, gets back and, uh, yeah. when shown them on the ship again, but it's not that long. And, uh, and so, yeah, it flows, you know, pretty naturally. The other thing with 37 is there's a kind of an aside mentioned between the episodes, kind of the interstitial page that mentions, it just has a kanji. And it has the fur- furigana above the kanji, and it mentions just that's all it says. And that's the name of Cheech's flower. They name Cheech's flower, isn't that right, Azil? Yeah, right. That's a type of a flower. So yeah, yeah it's well, a, it's a- it was, first of all, I, I thought it was neat that they even bothered to do that. It kind of as a an annotated version of the volume. It has a little. It's almost like a little note to readers, like by the way, it's this. You know, in case you're yeah. wondering what flower it was. They don't often do that. I can't think of another time where they have done interstitials like that. Yeah, I did not. Uh, it's more of a vagabond. Yeah, I was about to say it's something yeah. Anoe does a lot, but not in not in Berserk. Sorry, well, I you, know, you, you were going to say. Yeah, no, I was just going to say. You know, uh, the volumes for a very long time kept a very classical, you know, uh, format. You know, as far as the editing went, actually. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, which is actually, you know, uh, the editors, you know, realms. I think so. Maybe it changed uh, a while back, and. Uh, Maybe that was actually an impulse from a uh, younger editor that, uh, you know, Shimada mentored for a while, you know, while he took over Berserk or something. But in any case, I think it's, uh, it's in line with that change, with trying to make things more dynamic, you know, and I'd actually like to see, you know, uh, the entire series reedited with uh, that kind of editing, you know, a bit more, you know, dynamic yeah. and less classical, you know, because the previous ones were very, you know, I mean, very regimented, lots of interstitial. Pages, well, yeah. black page, white page, berserk. That's all you got, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was always very, just sort of weird, right? Yeah, so so putting some artwork in there and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it you know changes up a, a bit and it's pretty nice. So I think it's you know part of that that move towards a, a more you know. Uh, something a little more classy. I mean, even the, the way they do it, you know, nowadays the episode, you know, listing and such a thing, it's, it's very classy, you know, it's, yeah. uh, a, a lot better than it was before. So, yeah, I think it's part of that, uh, that move. And, and, uh, Maybe I we'll hope. get that, uh, those annotated editions, you know, reprinted in the new Dark Horse edition. <laughs> yeah. Why, well, sure. Coming... So, actually. You know, yeah. who knows? If they don't do it, you know, someone else will, you know, sooner or later. You know, nowadays with Kickstarter and shit like that, you know, Someone with enough motivation could try to raise money to, you know, you know, fund, uh, 
Uh, well, we've joked about this, like, like getting the rights to some small countries, you know, yeah. and then, like just we Indeed. print our own editions. Yeah, the New Zealand edition. Actually, you know, there's a country, you know, um, and uh, whose you know initials, you know, for the domain name is uh, SK. You know, so oh, wow, it, it would have to be that one. I it would have to be that one. You know, definitely. <laughs> I, I know because SK editions. Yeah, you remember I registered uh, Berserk.sk, you know, once upon a time. Didn't really, make, right didn't really make any use of it, but uh, oh. be... it's uh, yeah, very, very good. I'm looking at it right now. Actually, I don't think you have it anymore. But it's, no, no, I, I don't have it anymore. I Slovakia, yeah. yeah, Slovakia. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't have it anymore because uh, yeah, well, it was uh, expensive to keep, and I didn't use it for anything. So sure. That's such a hilarious harebrained scheme. Like, if we wanted to buy this thing, we should have somebody on the street. We need a man living over there in New Zealand. So one of us is going to have to move over there to re- retain the proper business publishing rights to Berserk so we can print our own volumes. I love it, though. Kitchen, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we'll hire somebody with part of the kitchen. Just, you know, money. yeah, just put a, a fucking mailbox there, you know, like, you know, all those companies. Who, and then you know, we'd, you know, we'd basically print out, you know, just like hardcover yeah. <laughs> You know, full color editions. Yeah. Giant, you know, it'd be library, co- library edition. Honestly, if I had the, if I had the means, I'd, I'd sell it even a, a, at a loss, you know, trying to. It'd be like an encyclopedia volume set, you know, in size, yeah. you know, and just be ridiculous. You know, uh, Incantation made a thread about, about, you know, this, you know, the ultimate, you know, basic edition, whatever. I, I didn't even post it in it because I actually don't really value, uh, you know, other people's idea of what the ultimate edition would be, and uh, yeah, I'd rather just keep you know my own ideas. Uh, edges on the pages. Yeah, you know, when I do it, you know, you guys will see. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know I the kinda, ultimate edition when I create it. Yeah, pretty I much. Had to, I kind of had to rack my brain for what to put in my version of it because I, I kind of just want to be like, I kind of, I want to be wowed. I, I don't want to dictate what it's going to be. I want to be impressed by concepts that I haven't even thought of, but I think people pretty much hit all the, the top points that I had had in my mind in the thread before I even posted like, oh, you know, it's pol- pretty- there's yeah, more, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's more, but I, I, I couldn't think of more. So. I, I think the, the main stuff is pretty simple. You know, to me, the, the most important one is a, a, a good translation, you know, and that's really, you know, that's the main part. After that, sure. there's, you know, printing quality, paper and such. And yeah. then, of course, the uh, color pages and, you know, uh, you know, hardcovers and all of that. And, uh, well, I would say in a later part uh, to have information about the series, you know, at the end and such, you know. And then it's uh, after that, it's just, you know, little touches, I think. Yeah. What would be really cool is if we could actually get the digital rights and then you could actually create like a legal, perfect digital form of it, like in super high res. And you could always be like changing the translation, you know, refining it, making it better, you know, Mm. stuff like that. Yeah, but you know, I, actually, I think you know the way I see it. You know, like if I had a company and money, you know, infinite amount, I would create uh, a perfect version. You know, like you know, especially yeah, translation version. You want a book? I, yeah, I would actually, you know, just you know, uh, hire people and get the translation done right. Then I would, you know, print it. And you know, once you have the files, you know, ready for printing and such, it's no big deal to make it into a digital edition. So I would you actually make it reason- like an annotated edition. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I would release the two of them, you know, simultaneously. So, like, people who want, you know, the literary edition can get it. People who want to print can get it as well. And, you know, you know, just, you know, actually people who want to have boss, you know, can also get boss, you know, some kind of, you know, mega pack, you know. Right. And, uh, the, yeah, that's, that's what do it. 
Think about a digital copy where it's like you could have like, you know, sort of live notes, you know, that you could like scroll over and open and close. Or if you could switch it from English to Japanese. Well, that would be cool, but uh, yeah. that's, that's, you know, beyond the current technology for the kind of thing. So it's not yeah. really doable. But yeah, yeah, of course, that's, that would be awesome. You, you could know, do it I, in a print edition, though, because like, have you ever seen like those like Bibles that are like translated? Yeah. Like they'll have one page in Hebrew, one in English. Yeah, stuff or, like that. You, know, you have some books with, uh, you know, there's some stuff that's printed on transparent paper, you know, and you can like, oh my God. you put it on the page <laughs> or you put it up. But I, I don't feel that uh, makes for, uh, uh, you know, it's a bad fl- flow for. Reading. Yeah, it's not a fluid, you know, reading experience. So yeah, that's why I dropped the idea. But yeah, I, I thought about uh, something <laughs> like that. By the way, uh, this is kind of back on topic, but off this topic, we did forget something with Ganeshka. Okay, go for it. His intention to impregnate Charlotte. And, ah, of course. Which yeah. suggests his apostle sperm and what it would do to her. So, I thought about that as well, yeah. I, I didn't bring it up because I don't really know what to think about that. I mean, it's a can of worms. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you could think, the first, you could take it like this. You could say he really was being honest. He even says, no, I think like, he was. I, 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 he even says, like, to himself in an in inner monologue that it would have been a, a small plaything for me at the time was, this, was, you know, fucking Charlotte basically it would have been fun, but oh well. Uh, but also you have to wonder about what, what would his lineage be? You know, if this is a guy that's concerned himself in his free time with the DACA creation or the reincarnation chamber, like, well, what would it really go like? You know, <laughs> what well, yeah, well, spawn? Uh, yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's like it sort of he opened this, there was this open question, you know, like, wow, what would that have been like? Well, we'll never answer. the women, the women there are part of the reincarnation chamber. Doesn't it say women that were, were they, weren't they already with child when they go into the chamber? Yeah. Yeah. So who's having sex with them? Well, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I guess, you know. So he calls them, gonna, you know, he calls, he calls them his children, the DACA, my children, which could be a metaphorical thing about he created them with a reincarnation chamber, or it could be like I had sex with all these women, you know. It's just like I, I don't know. Well, I don't Charlotte. think so. I think mostly they are probably just you know raped by the soldiers, you know. That, that would be more practical. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, that's you know that tends to be what you know what uh, happens when uh, an occupying army arrives in town. So. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know. Don't I? Actually, it's interesting that, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's done that without being explicitly, you know, uh, you know, pointed at, you know, like Mira sure. does it and, you know, he doesn't really bring any attention to it, but yeah, it's uh, pretty clearly implied that it's a case, you know. Well, I just, Actually, I would have wanted to know what, like, would have happened to Charlotte, you know, what she would have given birth to, essentially. Yeah. Like, would it be like a DACA or would it just be a normal baby or would it be some sort of strange, like, you know, well, baby with, you know, apostle like strength, you know? Well, what, what happened to Hannah in, uh, Enoch Village? I mean, when the Yeah, that didn't work out so well <laughs> yeah. for her. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I wonder if, you know, uh, she could have really been impregnated by Ganshka or not, you know? Well, yeah, because we talked wonder. about that, like, our apostles, you know, we think, are they sterile, you know? Do they yeah. work? Does their plumbing actually function? I mean, he seemed to be under the impression, though, that it would, you know, it would just be, yeah, sure, you know, I'm going to do that. Because it was very, like, sort of a, you know, he was, like, falling back on old habits. Like, you know, this is, you know, it's he, he told her, like, oh, it's common, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, you should be prepared for this as the princess, you know, of a nation. 
And so it was sort of funny because it's like, is it really necessary, Ganeshka, that you unite the kingdom? It's like (laughs) there's bodies and you know the only citizens in the city are like the crows eating the bodies. I don't think you really need like make it official. Well, this you know you have to think about things from his perspective though. At the time, this particular conquest wasn't about necessarily conquering Griffith or anything because he didn't know there was association between Charlotte and thus Wyndham and Griffith at the time. You know. He was just conquering a, a, a nation that was at its knees Well, I think he knew time, that right? uh, Griffith was coming back. Sure, yeah. like, I thought that the point was like the reason he attacked after the Oracle. I don't know. I might just be writing in stuff here. I think we've discussed this before, whether we discussed No, that, that's, that's right. The, the, the Kushan forces yeah. came directly after the Oracle. Sure, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I wish I had the volume in front of me, but I don't. But he talks about basically how this, this particular conquest had bored him and that he was basically just trying to look for other things. To entertain yeah, him, it's um, so right. <clears throat> but yeah, I have no idea. Maybe it would be like you know in Mallrats when they talk about Superman having Superman. sex with Lois Lane. <laughs> yeah, shotgun blast through the back of Lois Lane. Anyway, that's a good that's a good way to end the Ganeshka section. Talking right. about Mallrats. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but I think all of us want to talk a little bit about video games. Do you guys want to talk about video games? Definitely want to talk about MGS Five. Like that is we cool. do. That's where interest lies. <laughs> Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll just – I guess I'll, I'll, I'll do my thing real quick. Um, Blood Dragon. So Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon. So this is what I'm really excited about right now. There's a expansion of Far Cry 3 coming out. It's a standalone game. It costs 15 bucks, But it is an 80s tribute madness. Uh, the trailer for it is basically done like a VHS. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Oh, you saw it too. I'm glad you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I linked to it in a thing, but yeah, it's freaking awesome. I've listened to an interview with the director. It's basically sort of like Terminator and RoboCop and Predator all combined in this like '80s parody madness of a game, you know. And it looks super tongue-in-cheek, super not taking itself seriously. It looks like a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it. It Comes out in May, so I will be definitely be. I already pre-ordered it, so yeah, I, I pre-ordered it as well. I've watched the trailer like you know maybe 20 yeah. times. What's interesting Did about they it is they intentionally make the guy look like Michael Bean. It is Michael Bean. It is it, that is supposed to be Michael Bean. Well, yeah, the, the, the voice actor is Michael Bean. He, he's, he's Holy some shit! Board. Exactly, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they went all, they went all out for this. So what's interesting about this is when people first started hearing about it, it was a leaked picture, and I, I linked to it in the thing. I linked to it in the thread as well. Yeah. This is like ridiculous looking cover art. Like at the time, it came out on March thirty first, and so everyone assumed, oh yeah. April Fool's, haha, you know. Yeah. Would have been cool because it looks so fucking crazy. And then I, I, I mentioned it in the, in the notes as saying, what happened to ambitious game concepts? Why is something like this a parody and not real? But it's totally real, you know, but it is a parody. And so it made me think about game concepts are so run of the mill, like almost rote. Yeah, it's a military Everything shooter, has to be you know? safe now. You don't want to be, right. you want to be taken, everything has to be taken seriously. I mean, it all has right. to be so. You know, the only, it's actually sort of where Nintendo kind of has an advantage in that they'll still do like cute things and stuff. I mean, they won't do stuff like this, but yeah. you know, they'll dare to be like, you know, they'll dare not to be like overly serious, especially with subject matter that'll turn out to be sort of ludicrous anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's so, just depressing to me that that, that covers well, like that are so rare, you know. You know, you know, you know why it's it's pretty simple. I think it's because there's so much money involved nowadays that uh, yeah, you, know, you can't afford to like. Yeah, they won't take risk because it, if it flops, you know, the studio's closing and people are fired. Right. So, you know, that's why they stick to you know the most, you know, I mean the lowest denom- common denominator. So yeah, yeah. If you like, basically, if you're making a game with a certain level of budget, you pretty much have to present it as like. Like an epic gaming experience that you know millions of people need to purchase, <laughs> or we're right. going out of business. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that's probably true. But that's all I had to say about that. I'll, I'll post the stuff in the thread about Blood Dragon. I'm very excited about it, and you guys should watch the trailer. It's pretty cool. I want. I will not say anything about Dark Souls too because I could go on forever. But the trailer is out. Looks pretty cool. Looks like more Dark Souls. I'm not super blown away by what I've seen, but it looks. I mean. It looks great. Yeah, so. it's more of the same, and uh, yeah. Dark Souls One was cool. So yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, this is the wrong place to ask, but yeah, can we repost the thread on how to, uh, like, sort of optimize Dark Souls on your PC in the podcast thread? I'll just, I mean, I, I, I can just tell you, and I'll tell you after the, after the podcast what to do. All right. Well, I mean, just for everyone's sake. I think okay, sure. <laughs> I'll post. I'll post myself. the link. <laughs> yeah. It's all in the README file for the thing, but I'll, I'll post it. Ah. Uh, Shovel Knight, Azil. Yeah, well, yeah, the game was, you know, was backed uh, on Kickstarter. It, you know, exceeded its, you know, goal, you know, by a lot. It, it just wanted, you know, uh, seventy-five thousand, you know, dollars, and uh, it's a tribute to old NES games like, you know, Mega Man and Ducktales, you know, Zelda Two, that kind of stuff. And uh, it just looks awesome, you know. As much as I'm excited for Far Cry Blood Dragon, I'm actually more excited by Shovel Knight. You know, it's got a Vert doing the, you know, original soundtrack. Ooh. You might. Yeah, and, uh, and, he, and it's awesome. What he did is really great. And uh, they've also got the original composer of Mega Man doing two guest tracks, you know, for it. And uh, it's being released for, you know, PC, Mac, Linux, and uh, 3DS, and Wii U. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's looking awesome. Oh, I got to get it for... Will it be in 3D on 3DS? I've actually had a 3DS renaissance. I guess that would be my biggest gaming news after my vicious, you know, trashing of it. I don't board. know. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be in 3D, but it will be on the probably the, the 3DS eShop, as I'm what I'm guessing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be on the eShop, and uh, yeah. I think they'll probably give it the 3D, you know, treatment. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. They didn't really mention it, so yeah. if if I get the news, I'll tell you. But you should definitely watch the trailer because it's fucking awesome, man. It's awesome. It's, tr- it's very, you know, in in some ways, it's very much like Mega Man, and I know you're a big fan, so yeah, you should give it a shot. There are, there's some, in looking at the trailer, there are so many obvious influences, like, you could say it's straight up, looks like a Mega Man game, but it also has, like, the downward thrust of Zelda 2. Yeah. It has, like, life bars, <laughs> like Zelda 2 has, it has, the, the ladder climbing animation, and then the, you know, getting off the ladder is straight up Mega Man. The way the levels yeah. and screens scroll around is totally Mega Man. So having Vert and, uh, the Mega Man composer is gonna add to that, but, um, yeah, it, to me, it looks like, looking at the trailer, it looks like an NES game that never came out, but, was done in some kind of modern times thing. Like, you know, you can do things like repel shots with your shovel as a projectile's coming in. You couldn't do that in an NES game, you know? 
Yeah, of course. It's a more yeah, modern just, concept. Even as far as the music goes, you know, uh, they use a, a how to say a chip that has more sure, you know, yeah, more channels to it. But you know, the thing is, yeah, it's a tribute, so it's like you know, it's all the good stuff about you know these games, you know, and the nostalgia and such, but without the limitations. Like you know, yeah. when when they they don't have all the problems, you know, we had back then. So yeah, yeah it's gonna. When there's too gonna, many enemies on the screen. Your life bar won't start fading out like in Mega Man oh, yeah. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Or it'll flicker and slow down, which I always thought yeah. was kind of an advantage, you know, in Mega Man 2. I know it gives you slow motion, you know. You basically, yeah. It's like bullet time, you know, back yeah. before it was popular. I always thought that was intentional back in Mega Man 2. Like, oh, it's it's a big enemy, so I need to, like, you know, take my time. Thanks, game, for slowing down <laughs> for me, you know. But you know what? That kind of game, it's not a big, serious, epic game that's going to change gaming forever and make it on the same level as cinema, which... <laughs> Which MGS5, the Final <laughs> Phantom Zero Pain, whatever it is, you know, the double, the double album game that's coming out. That's Azeel. Yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. you, are you, are you excited for this? <laughs> uh, no. No, no, yeah, you should be. <laughs> yeah, I you, you say, should uh, be. Don't understand. <laughs> Shame on you! Yeah. Shame on you! Paying you know what? If your brain was functioning, you would understand why you should be excited <laughs> no, about. No, it. no, no. I don't. I don't think you get it. This is Metal Gear Solid Five. This is a sneaking mission. Okay. This this engine is a game engine better than any other game engine. This yeah, game I, engine I'm... has textures. <laughs> On models, better than any <laughs> textures on models you've ever seen, dude. You know, yeah, it's it's, it's even better than any uh, animation movie uh, you know ever made. I think that's uh, yeah. This is gonna be like playing Toy Story two. Only <laughs> it's actually better than Toy Story two. I don't know about that. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't think you quite get it, Azil. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I quite get it either. You're excited about this. Shovel Knight, but not. Come on, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm, it calls into question everything you've said about video games in the past. Yeah, I bet you guys feel uh, pretty bad. You know, pretty sorry for me uh, about it. What about a what about a flaming unicorn soldier? Huh? Oh yeah, You're not excited. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the the whale, the flaming whale. Don't forget. Yeah, the flame whale. There's a there's obviously going to be some flame team of animals, mystical and otherwise. That you know, oh I I'm pretty excited. Oh my god, it's going to be it's going to be called like Richard Moby is going to be one of the enemies or something like is, that. So this is going to be two different games. Is that like Ground yeah. Zero? Uh, well, like, I feel like it's already some little step brother that's not important even before it comes out. It's already been like undercut completely. Officially. Uh, Officially, what they've said is, you know, these two games combined to make Metal Gear Solid Five. But they've kind of been hedging. I know they kind of been hedging their bets on like, are these going to be two discs? Are we talking about two different ship games? Can we just be outraged so that they make it all on the same purchase? Because otherwise, they're going to try and get away with like, oh, you got to buy Ground Zeroes and then Phantom Pain to really know the story, and it's going to be like, are you fuck you? Like, yeah, it's going to be like Tanker and Big big Rig. What is it called in Metal Gear Solid 2? <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? No, it was called uh, Tanker and uh, Shell. Was it Big Shell? Shell? Big, Shell. Big, Shell. Big Shell. Yeah, Big Shell, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, a little, little, little bit of Snake, lots of riding, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. All Big I'm... Boss, but, you know, missing an arm, having, like, a weird... And is there going to be another Big Boss clone? 
because it's like I'm seeing some weird inconsistencies and it's just like, oh, man. I mean, as much as I've joked throughout this whole section of the show, I did like the trailer a lot, even though it was a weird like oh, yeah. gar- garbage music video. I thought it was cool. I liked what I yeah. saw. Yeah. I dug uh, the trailer a lot, too. It makes me wish that it was going to be a better game, probably. Like, I'm like, oh, man, this. I hope this is really good. And by the way, we are we under the impression that this hater thing is just an April Fool's joke? I don't even know anymore, man. It seems pretty real to me at this point. But, you know, it seems – what it comes down to is it's such a weird decision to to make and for it to be done on Twitter. I can see it going either way. Like it's just sort of a fake hype generator where it's like everyone's going to be excited that, oh my god, David Hayter is doing the voice for Snake when they reveal it. And it's like, yeah, you know, the guy who always does the voice for Snake. Yeah. Like I, I mean, even if it's not, I don't really care that much to be yeah, honest. I don't care was, either. If it was Kiefer Sutherland, I'd actually be kind of excited. Like, oh, Kiefer Sutherland. Wow. He is. He is in the game. Kiefer is. You can hear him yeah. in, the tra- in, in the whole yeah. the demo anyway, which I thought it was. I was pretty excited for. <laughs> yeah. So it's so. like if he ends up being the new voice of Snake, it's like wow, he really is trying to. You know, it's it, you know, it, it fulfills the, the Hollywood dreams of Kojima. Exactly, man. Like whenever like Chris I was... Roberts with the Wing Commander games, you know his interactive movies. <laughs> I remember. I think I was. I think I remember pitching Twenty Four to you as basically like it's like Metal Gear Solid the TV show if it was like done really poorly and hilariously. Like <laughs> that's that, that's what I like Twenty Four was because it was like all the ridiculousness of a Metal Gear he was Solid always game. Always on like his codec, basically. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need the map in this place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a hilarious show. Yeah, Metal Gear Solid Five, sure. I'm sure it'll come out soon, and more, yeah, we, more Metal know. Gear Solid. It will be the last. You it's know. gonna be the last one. These two are Kojima the last does. one. He that said was, so. He's promised. Said. This time is the last. He's promised. These two to... games are gonna be the last game. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to make that joke actually. You guys yeah, these two it. are the last one. That should be the slogan for the game. <laughs> Simono Mission. We'll see, we'll see Kojima. I kind of yeah. just wish you'd do something new at this point, but whatever. You know, we've been saying that. No, I like when everyone's like, because we had some people in the thread. I forget who it was. It was, uh, I won't even bother to say names. I'll screw it up. But, you know, like, oh, I always like big boss games. It's like, it's Snake. You know, it's Snake. It's just Snake. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's Solid Snake or Naked Snake. It's just Snake. Although, yeah, it is easy because it's like, it's cool because it's a period piece. You know, that's I, I, I took the, yeah. I took that to mean, to me, I took that comment to mean, like, Metal Gear Solid 3 is a much more straightforward story than Metal Gear Solid 2. You know, it's like, it's not I trying to... I just want to play, I guess Peace Walker is also pretty enjoyable. I haven't played it, though. I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have a PSP, so... Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, Metal Gear Solid 3, like, the reason it was good, and it was good with that flashback and what made it so cool, that's probably going to be absent in this game. Like, there's a lot of potential in here for, like, Metal Gear Solid 4 2... With yeah, what's sure. Going on. Like, I mean, and plus, I don't trust Kojima. Like, even though he's like, you know, promised, he's teased us with the, you know, the super heavy subject matter that's going to, you know, f- usher gaming into, you know, a whole new realm. Uh, we've heard it before, and at the same time, I don't trust him to handle like stuff like, you know, the loss of limbs and like really dealing with, you know, like the 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 pain of war and stuff like that. He always tries to do that, and it's always really superficial okay. and ham-fisted. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to it's going to result in basically like, look, I've shown the pain, you know, the phantom pain of losing a limb because yeah. you, you can only use half the buttons on your controller. You know? <laughs> but it's like, great, Kojima, thank you. 
<laughs> I just think Kojima fans are weird to me because, like, yeah, I like Metal Gear Solid games too, but I just don't take them very seriously. And, and a lot of Kojima fans are like, take his like Kojima's word as gospel or something in his games. That's uh, what I don't get. It's like it's no, not I this think guy. He's, I I take him seriously as a creator, as a game creator, as an auteur, and all that. But I mean, you know, he he thinks he's something more. Where it's just, you know, he's like a you know a sort of interesting. What's the word? He's eccentric, you know, and yeah. I find it interesting yeah. and what he does interesting, but it's not anything, you know, more substantial than that. You know, he does, you know, neat, you know, he does neat games and he try and he's ambitious, but you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, he's not, you know, he's not, so, he's not giving some great message that's changing the world or anything like yeah. N- nuclear bombs are bad, by the way. Thanks, Kojima. <laughs> yeah. I got it. <laughs> It was somehow he went from like doing very like creative like sort of like he was doing sort of cool like little uh, pastiche of like 80s movies and you know having a little bit of a message in there but also kind of making fun of the message at the same time to actually believing his his own – he got like high on his own supply. And he like he believes like I'm I'm telling you – even when I replayed Metal Gear Solid 3 recently, there was a lot of like sort of should be – you know pretentious important talk that it was like well what are they babbling about this there's is a lot of babbling nonsense like you know it's just like oh about war and love and you know mm. putting your heart into it and your, your fighting style and it's like yeah this is almost like dragon ball z like you know in the way but it, except if it really took itself seriously I still think my favorite part of Metal Gear Solid the entire series was when I played the demo the first time. Was uh, the very first Metal Gear Solid demo where you're just – it's just Shadow Moses, the infiltration right when you go to the vents is when the demo ends. I probably played yeah, that right. thing like a thousand times before the game came out. Yeah. Even when the even when the game came out, I didn't even play it that much. I played it through once and I probably was it. You know? wow. Yeah, I think so. But uh, and I played Twin Snakes up until he does a backflip over a rocket, and then I was like, "Oh, I'm done." I'm done. Yeah, Twin Snakes, my God, how could you? <laughs> well, I didn't play very much. Of it. It's called Twin Snakes and not the Twin Snakes. I don't know why, mm. or was it the Twin Snakes? And it should have been Twin Snakes. I think that's the way it was. I think because they never had the the and the other ones. I'm very anal about these things. The Metal Gear Solid. That's the reboot yeah. name of it, actually. It's, you know, the Fast and the Furious, the Predator. <laughs> Just make it the fast, and you either have to add a the or take it away. Yeah. The Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. that's what I was thinking. I was thinking the Wolverine. That's the newer one. They might have to do – when they reboot it again after this one is you know, a bomb, they could be like, a Wolverine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. At that point, they just call it Wolverine. It's like SimCity is now SimCity. You know, the new SimCity yeah. is called SimCity. What about the old SimCity? It's like, well, it's SimCity. But well, that's, <laughs> that's SimCity 1989. They put a date on them, which yeah. you know, is really weird. It's, yeah, it's like it's, it's, this is Madden 13. This is not Madden 12. <clears throat> That's a crappy way to end this section. Oh well. <laughs> and, and the podcast. Bye. <laughs> it's over. Like it's I would, like an MGS game. Just we're dragging it out, and then it's oh, it's done. Have the I president play, call it. I would end. play. A, I would play a Madden game if all the players on the screen were John Madden, and he was simultaneously like instead of a football, he's throwing around like a, a turducken. I would play that game. For sure. I played I would, some Madden with uh, my roommates, uh, not last year, but the year before that. Because they had a PS3, and I actually, that's where I played, you know, basically all the modern, it's where I played Arkham Asylum, and all, MGS4, and shit, what else? Dead Space 2. 
Mm. I got a Gamefly account just so it's like, I have a PS3 in my midst. I should play, like, some modern games on it instead of just always being like, yeah, I'm replaying Mega Man 2 again. <laughs> so, <laughs> Azil, yeah. I can sense in your voice that you're ready to go. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm always ready to go. <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, but, uh, yeah, GS let's just say, uh, I should have been, you know, back in EverQuest, you know, about five minutes ago. Okay. Go, go to your EverQuest. What's the name of the world in EverQuest? Uh, Norath. Go back to Norath, you bastard. Thanks for No, no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. Actually, I, I've got, uh, you know, I mean, I, I got a lot of things to do actually before I go to play. So it's, it's well, not a problem. I've been but, building up my coin supply on my 3DS to go play Find Me. So oh my yeah, God. I, I shake it <laughs> over on the side. <laughs> I've never found those games very fun. The little They're, they coin are. games. I play them because it's the only thing I have time for and because I can yeah. build up the coins while I walk around at work. So it's like it's I'm playing when I'm not playing. Is what you, should get, you should get Crimson Shroud if you haven't already. I, I, I'm i probably going to get it. I got my first uh, paycheck on the new job. And so I'm gonna oh, cool. Nice, nice. Yeah. But I thought you you had become a manager at your former job, so... Uh, well, it's... No, it, like, I applied for, like, basically, like, our sister operation. I became the manager there because I already knew the operation very well. Okay. So, yeah, now I'm the manager, and uh, I have to wear, you know, dress clothes every day, and I supervise, shit. like... <laughs> wait, wait, did you have to cut your hair and trim your beard? I had to trim the beard into a goatee. I've got the Walter White goatee now. Whoa. Whoa. Did, you also sh- did you also shave your head? No, I did not shave my head. I, so, it was, it was, are you wearing like suits or just, you know, a dress shirt? Just dress shirt and, you know, slacks, like, you know, and dress all right. shirt. I don't have to wear I mean, we get casual Friday, you know, and all yeah. that. Oh, you're just, you know, you like me, as in. Yeah. <laughs> so, do, you yeah. Have, do you have employees under you? Do you have underlings? I do have underlings. Oh, Holy nice. Shit. Nice. Nice. I have like, I'm like, I'm basically the manager of like over, t- I've got one career employee and the rest are like part-time student employees that work for me. Oh. So, but all in all, it's like over 20 people. That's could nice. You get, could you get some of them to like learn Japanese and do some translation work for us on the side? Like put them to work? School nice. Net even like, they don't even, they don't even want to wear their hats. You know? uh, it's, like, uh, it's like one of these things where it's like, oh, okay. They don't want to wear like, proper attire mm. so yeah you know that's why it's interesting when we were talking about dark horse and like the money for orders you know and how much it would cost her because it's like now i'm doing orders where it's like well i can either make this order you know eight hundred dollars or twenty six hundred dollars and you know i think the company would prefer eight hundred dollars and it's just yeah so it's interesting like thinking in that mindset yeah hmm. that's a wrap guys i'm gonna head back to my son all right Two-hour podcast. Wow. That's First exciting. one in a long while. I told you it yeah. would take time. I told you. Yeah. <laughs> you're, right. You're, you're right. Actually, you know, we finished up the Berserk stuff right around. Uh, yeah, we could have wrapped it up a lot quicker. We were actually yeah. spending a lot of time just sort of, you know, you know, shooting the shit. Yeah, true. Even on the stuff like about uh, Akira Shimada, we didn't have to spend so much time on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's fun. All right, guys. Talk to you guys later. Yep. See ya. See ya. Zero notes this time. You guys are free to go. Nice. Uh, See ya.
All right, you know no. what I'm going to go do now? I'm going to go uh, review previous translation of uh, episode uh, 231 and post it. Awesome! Wow, much belated, but good to have it up. Good to have it up. Actually, I've had the translation section minimized on my forum view for a long time. 331. Does she have um, the others planned as well, or just whenever she has free time? Well, whenever she has time, yeah. Sure. Okay. So that would be you know someday. Yeah, three thirty one is really long of a translation, as I remember, and then the next two are pretty short. I'm from yep. my my memory of transcribing them. Well, three thirty three is pretty long, actually. But anyway, all right. Cool. See you guys. See ya. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Tell Puella thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure, I will. Okay. Have fun in Nazarene or whatever it's called. Nora. Nora. <laughs> all right. Cool. Oh, I want to see those pictures. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll send them to you. I can't go play right now anyway. I have, to, I have a lot of shit to do. I'm not sure I can even play tonight. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm hitting the end button now. All right. See ya.